The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Friday, August 9th, 2019, and you are tuned into the weekly flagship, the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hameen Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking some NWA, AEW, New Japan, WWE, NXT, and all of the latest from around the world of professional wrestling. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner from the great state of YA, NO, Huckleberry number one, RBB, Rick. I'm not going to let it go. It's me, it's me. It's that order to beat it to be. Rick Victory back again at Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. That damn Yano. You know, I was going to save this till we got to some G1 talk, but hey, let's just let's just jump right into it. Gargo, is this the, the best G1 that Yano's ever had? Eight points? Um, I, It might be. I, it's either six or eight points is Yano's limit. Uh, the, the thing that is just absolutely insane to me is when you look at the side of the A block and the B block, there is actually a way that Toru Yano could still win the B block going into the final night of the G1 Climax. Well, you know, I, I thought hell froze over when he beat the great state of Ohio, but hey, well, let's freeze it over again, right? Let's just freeze over Lake Erie here. I mean, there is a possibility. This thing, I know we're going to get into it. I'm looking forward to talking some G1. Actually, we got a hell of a run, a hell of a show set up for today, but especially all, all the dynamics, anything that could happen here inside of this G1, this is going to be one hell of a weekend for pro wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I wanted to start things off, though, with the NWA, of all things. Um, obviously, we've got previews for AEW and the G1 update and TakeOver and SummerSlam. There wasn't really a good place to fit it in here, but I wanted to make sure that we talked about this. The NWA has announced that they're going to be holding TV tapings here shortly. They're going to be at Atlanta at center stage. Rick, it sounds like what Billy Corgan wants to do is do an old school style studio wrestling show, which I'm absolutely in support of. I love championship wrestling from Hollywood, which is about the closest thing that we have as far as a comparison goes at this point. What do you think of the NWA doing this? And I think more importantly, did I miss something? Like, it's cool that they're filming TV, but do they have a distributor yet? First of all, Mr. Corgan, I get it, man. You're hip. You're cool. You're, you're modern. You want to wear the hat a little cocked. That's fine. But at least get one that fits your head. I mean, it's like he's got like a, a little beanie with a bill sitting on that damn on that noggin of his. Well, not so to go all Billy Ray Valentine or anything, but I'm pretty sure that Billy Corgan is a reptilian. There we go, then. That, I guess that explains it there. But yeah, let's, let's get a little professional here. But yeah, so... 
we haven't got a, any kind of announcement with an actual deal with a network, right? So this is pretty much putting together a pilot to go pitch. It kind of sounds like Arrow Lucha to me. Arrow Lucha did this about what a year, year and a half ago, and we still haven't seen the show. Well, we'd also see, we also saw this with uh, with Jared's last promotion. Oh yeah, with uh, Global Force. With Global Force, you know, they put they had like a season in the can ready to go, and then by the time you know, with like a year later, we're like we're we still don't have a television deal. So I mean, you kind of at that point, you know, those talents have moved on. They were now you know they were within. You know, growing in Impact, WWE, wherever it might be, I mean, you, you kind of set yourself outside of your timeline. So hopefully they are close to a deal or, you know, he's learned from those situations. Instead of using all of this, you know, all the, the high end costs for this production to put on these shows, put these things in the can. If there isn't a deal reached by a certain time, hopefully they have a plan for another outlet, you know, to a, go to a streaming service or something like that. I mean, hell, I mean, your Hulu's and your Netflix, I mean, they're picking up everything anybody can throw at them, especially if you've already got it in the can for them. So, you know, hopefully they got a plan there. Outside of that, I love the concept of going back to the stage, the stage show. I always loved those settings. They were very unique. Uh, there was such a, an incredible dynamic that went along with them. But I'm going to be more intrigued to see how how are they going to present this thing? Because we haven't they haven't really put their best foot forward the last few, few times that we've seen them run, you know, these streamed or pay-per-view events. I really like what the NWA is doing with the 10 pounds of gold, um, what Dave Lagana has been shooting out there. I, I like the NWA product. It just it seems so back burner at this point you know we, we talk about that that middle tier of professional wrestling right now and what a stacked dance card it is rick where does the nwa even fit into the pro wrestling landscape at this point well it's you know it's interesting when we make these comparisons on the regular here you know we're, we're talking about mlw ring of honor new japan aew you know they're all kind of bidding for that that top that top spot on that second tier under the wwe but alongside of those, we never really mention is because they kind of just lurk in the shadows is the NWA. They're kind of just, you know, just that quiet kid in the corner there. Maybe that gives them a little bit of an advantage that they are off the radar right there. And they are going to they're they do present a more traditional style, you know, right now. And, you know, they, and this is even these TV tapings have been kind of quiet. You're not seeing a lot of press and pub around this thing. So maybe for them, it's you remain in the race and you're doing everything that you think is right to make sure that you can hang in there. But you don't need all that attention. Here's a good comparison. You always hear that you always, you always make these comparisons with hospitality, but you, you always hear like you got steak and shakes closing everywhere. You always, you're getting bad press for the, you know, the big boys like a Burger King or a McDonald's or whatever. But you know, there, there's one steady restaurant out there that just does that. It does everything. And I mean, they're not over the top. They're not, they don't ever receive praise, but you never really hear a knock, especially in the news or by the media. And it's Waffle House. God, Waffle House just needs to expand. That's their problem. Like, there's not a Waffle House anywhere in the state of Iowa. I don't think there's one inside of the state of Illinois. Like, I, it, Waffle House to me is more of that regional, like mid south kind of territory. Well, brother, come to Ohio. Uh, I can throw a rock in any direction and hit a Waffle House. <laughs> We've got him at every exit. And it's pretty much that way, you know, through, I don't know about like in the Northeast, but, you know, when you get down into this region, all the way down through Florida, into Texas and all that there, I mean, they're, they're freaking everywhere. But, you know, they've got thousands of franchises all over the place. 
but you, they, you never, and they've been, they've been running for decades. You know, it's, it's diner food, you know, it's famous for truckers and all that stuff. I mean, it doesn't ever receive any praise, but you never really hear it get knocked. So maybe that's kind of the path that the NWA wants to go. And I love how you make the comparison there of the regional area. Can the NWA just exist in that traditional South area and bring that, bring that style back to those that embraced it, that loved it so much back in the day. And I love the idea that they're going back to center stage in Atlanta. I mean, if, if the NWA call letters are going to hold any kind of weight at, in 2019, Atlanta is absolutely the right market for it. Well, could you see it as we're talking about distribution and immediately, and we were just, we're just guilty of this ourselves. We're thinking big, like AEW just got with TNT. So everyone's going to start thinking, okay, where could they go? Like WGN, they have an interest in wrestling. Uh, would, would Spike be back interested or something like that? What if they wanted to like more of a ring of honor? They did a syndication and they just ran, you know, primarily focused in the South. You know, those old territories that embrace this style. I forget who it was. Somebody had told me that they were going to be running on Atlanta public access. If, okay. If that's the distribution, I mean, I'm interested. I'll find Dude, some if, way if to watch it. If they're running on if they're running on public access, I want them to go with that old school uh, as, a, as a comparison, like what we saw from Southpaw. Yes, I, actually, I, I want the in this. I want the traditional studio with the old commentator desk where you they walk right out. You got the you got you're solely there by himself or whatever. They do all the interviews there. He's he's the bell keeper as well. Give me give me the old school. Give me just the decor of the of the eighties and seventies. Whatever it is, that's what I want this show to be. That's kind of championship wrestling from Hollywood. You should really check that show out, man. It's really good. I enjoy it. Enjoy it a lot. Let's talk a little bit of video games before we uh, jump into some other pro wrestling stuff. Uh, Rick, this is, it kind of went under the radar, but it seems as though Ukes and the WWE have announced a split. Um, but it sounds like it's still going to kind of remain in-house. This is a really, really strange deal. It's like they're bringing in a different development team. It's going to be visual concepts, but it's still going to be released underneath of the 2K banner. Very interesting. You know, I picked up on this the other day. It seems this is like after, I mean, this goes before the 2K banner, you know, before those games were going. I mean, this has been decades that they've been working together, correct? Yeah, this this goes back 20 years now. Okay, 20 years. It, to me, what really jumped out, and you're somewhat of a gamer. I'm not really involved in that community. I don't understand, you know, the complete infrastructure and all that. Could we get to a point? where the gaming companies don't actually need the WWE brand to be successful with within the wrestling genre. I mean, couldn't they just go deal And this more speaks to WWE's refusal or inability, however you want to look at it to, to elevate today's stars, today's talent. As we see this, you know, like all these mobile games that we're seeing, who's highlighted their throwbacks. It's the legends. It's, you know, who's moving merch. It's the legends. Who's spiking ratings? It's the legends. I mean, the reunion show when Goldberg comes back, when when Brock's in there, I know he's somewhat of a, he's the only today megastar, but, you know, we consider him from the past and they keep going to him. Couldn't at some point one of these companies just cut out the WWE middleman brand and go to these legends on their own and say, hey, we're just going to pay you individually to use your likeness in these games and, and in this concept, I started thinking maybe more of like a WCW versus the world where, yeah, you've got 10 legends that everybody loves. But then, you know what? We're going to go out and get some indie talent. We're going to have an indie 
crew of 10 or go to AEW and use their top 10 guy. Because I don't see AEW being unable to stand on its own with a video game right now. Or you can go to Japan or Ringo, any, you know, you've got these little different regions, but you still got that core that people seem to gravitate to in those legends. I think what's going to happen is you are going to get an AEW video game. I would guess that it's going to come within the next year to a year and a half. Um, all kind of de- depending on how long it's been in development. And it's going to run off that old school No Mercy game engine. I All of the elite seem like they are huge fans of that game engine. We know how much they love that throwback style. We saw Kenny pull it off with Fire Pro with New Japan Pro Wrestling, which we'll talk about here in a second. I, I absolutely expect that that is going to happen sooner than later. The The biggest holdup may just simply be the development of the game to get all the motion captures and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, such a, a an enormous undertaking, you know, to try to, to get something there. I kind of envision, I know that those guys love, love that game engine, and I fully agree with you. That would be something they model after. I think at some point we're going to get like a Street Fighter style game with AEW. That would be a lot of fun, too. I mean, we, we saw the Tekken crossover with New Japan Pro Wrestling a couple of years ago. That's still my kid's favorite game to play. They love putting that on and using freaking Okada as king and just destroying everybody. It's awesome. Well, you even had back in the 90s, WWE did that with a game. Hmm, I guess I don't remember um, I don't remember the exact name of it. I, I still have it. It's for the Super Nintendo. Uh, it had individuals. It had Lex Luger, Doink the Clown. Because I remember like Doink's arm would turn into that big, you know, carnival hammer oh nice and come down it, it was it was a pretty fun game i think it, it razor was in there uh, it was in you know it was in right after that mass exodus kind of towards like when hogan and macho left but you still had like pre-nwo yeah right there uh, it was a, it was pretty fun it was a different concept but it was you know that that action fighter style game. I, I could definitely see AEW going something along those lines. I think the problem with your theory and the, and the going with the legends, how many of those legends still have legends deals with the WWE where WWE owns the IP? Well, I, I actually looked into this. Um, you still, you, there's quite a bit out there that they don't have any restrictions with. And they do sign with, you get to these, in these 2K deals, those are individuals are signing with 2K. And then there's loop, you know, since it is associated with WWE there. So you could just cut them out. And those Legends deals aren't as strict. Uh, the grip isn't as tight as it would be with like your current talent. Interesting. So there are some loopholes there. And, and maybe hey, and once you get once you get something started like this, once you get something rolling, you know, if you get the rock on board, get Stone Cold on board. Then other people are going to be like, I don't really need this Legends deal. Look at these other offers that are out there. And this is more or less, you know, a trickle down effect from, you know, almost what AEW is doing. And now you see these modern talents are opening their eyes like, I don't really I don't have to be here to be successful. One thing I did think was interesting with the upcoming 2K20 was the roster reveal. Uh, Last year when they did the roster reveal, we had a great big long conversation about how the video game developers didn't want to put Roman Reigns on the cover Guess who's on the cover this year? Roman Reigns. Oh, yeah. And Becky Lynch. But Roman Reigns is on the cover. And then like two days later, we get the announcement that Ukes and the WWE are going to be splitting, which maybe I'm just going, you know, conspiracy horseman. But I can't help but wonder if those two things are in some way related. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, it was. What did you think of the, with him and Becky? I know that was a little bit of caused a little bit of debate amongst the gaming community. Well, I, the. 
not so much as, as far as the gaming community for me, but I have heard a lot of talk about the commercial that they aired and it coming off like Roman Reigns was flirting with Becky Lynch. I, I didn't get that impression whatsoever with the interaction between those two. Did you make anything out of that? Uh, I, I'd seen that I had seen people kind of linking those together. I, when, when I watched it, I wouldn't pick up on that. Uh, I have to admittedly, I wasn't overly interested. I just want to check it out for the production and see how they were presenting it and all that. But, uh, but Hey, they're on the cover together. If they're flirting in the commercial, Hey, who, who was talking about a mega, a mega powers kind of storyline coming up at some point with, uh, the love triangle. That would be awful. Uh, that would absolutely destroy Seth Rollins at this point. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Fire Pro. They've got an extension coming out, a DLC coming out. Fire Pro Wrestling World is going to get a stardom update on what if August twenty first. What, what if Seth Rollins is actually Elizabeth in this scenario, and Becky is Randy Savage? That's hilarious. <laughs> That's absolutely hilarious. Roman wants his buddy back. <laughs> But yeah, stardom update coming to Fire Pro Wrestling. It's going to be, they're really pushing Mayu Iwatani as uh, the big downloadable character. There's going to be 10 of the women of stardom that are going to be available for download in addition into Fire Pro. Rick, Fire Pro will always hold a very, very special place in my heart because Fire Pro got us over with Chase Owens. Too sweet. Hey, didn't you just get us over with Chase, but I mean, that was a highlight of it. But hey, opening night. Starcast one. We were we were OGs right there on Pod Row. We were the first ones, the first night, the first you know Starcast ever. Couldn't get any bigger net. And well, we had two great draws. We had two draws at our table. We we had Fire Pro, and then we had uh, Daryl. We had Daryl. We had Daryl. People were loving him. Oh, God, we're such nerds. I'm looking forward to that DLC, though. I'm looking forward to having some women that I can mess around with inside of Fire Pro. I'm really hoping that they get all the entrance music and everything. Looking forward to seeing the motion captures. If you haven't played Fire Pro Wrestling World, absolutely recommend checking it out. And hell, it's the only video game where you can have Kazuchika Okada versus Kenny Omega. Uh, speaking of Kenny Omega, Huckleberry, let's talk about All Elite Wrestling a little bit. Uh, we said that they were going to have to do this, you know, 52 weeks a year. Last week, selling out, you know, the first show in D.C. was really, really cool. But now we have the announcement for Episodes 2 and 3. They're going to be hitting Boston and Philadelphia. I thought this was a great move to hotbed markets. Uh, it sounds like the Boston setup is going to be set up for about 6,000 people. The Philly Arena is a little bit bigger. It's set up for about 10,000 people, but with staging and everything, it could come out to about eight. What do you think of this uh, setup in Boston and Philly and running a little bit smaller arenas? Uh, I, I love this concept. You know, you came out of the gate there in D.C. What they do about 10 strong. I think it ended up at like 14. OK, so you're coming out great. You're going to have that visual there. And they, they, they laid out the game plan for us. They let us know what the strategy is. You know, we're going to come out big here. This is going to be the big debut, but then we're going to pull it back. We're going to reel it back in here because we know our limitations and we know now how real this gets. I mean, this is 52 weeks a year that you're going to have to continue to move these tickets in these arenas. So I like the, this little, the smaller setups here. It's going to be more of an intimate situation. It's, I'm hoping it has more of that, that no pun intended, raw feel that we used to get from professional wrestling. Uh, really looking forward to this thing. I thought it was really interesting as we're talking about how they're, they're kind of taking us along this ride with them and they're sharing some of their game plan. And 
Cody was talking about this and he even, you know, he put it over something that's over his head. And that's why you bring in people to handle this for you. It seems, you know, they have really got their ear to the ground when it comes to, you know, deciding which markets, what hotspots, where is going to be the right situation for them to succeed. I think this is just absolutely genius. Um, The one thing that did surprise me was I kind of thought that they would run the 2300 arena when they went to Philadelphia, but evidently they wanted something a bit bigger than that. Um, Well, and you know, I know that it's, you know, hollow grounds, but everybody goes there. Well, it it was just size wise, kind of what I was thinking in my mind. Evidently they wanted something a little bit bigger than that. I mean, could it even outside of that? could you take, and I understand you want, you want to, you know, sell more tickets there, but everyone's doing that. Everyone goes there. Ring of Honor goes there. Impact goes there and tries to live off of that legacy. But if you're AEW, do you want to be doing the same things that, that all those other promotions are doing? I mean, you're trying to elevate yourself a little bit and put yourself, you know, closer to WWE. No, that's a valid point. That's an absolutely valid point. I'm looking forward to see how these tickets sale sell on a week to week kind of basis, especially once they get out of that Northeast area, because the Northeast is so cramped in that you're going to have a lot of the same fans going to DC that are going to go to Philly that are going to go to Boston. Once they get into like that Midwest, like what's going to happen when they go to Minneapolis, what's going to happen when they come to Des Moines. I really wanted to ask you about that is we've talked about this in regards to WWE and improving, you know, the live event, that live attendance there. Are they spending too much time in those markets where they're not really pulling and they're still running those big arenas? Should they focus more on just doing, especially for television, hitting that that those key demos where you know you're going to pull? If you're AEW right now, are you all that are, are you all that big on expanding into you know those those plain states? I don't know, man. I you, because I just I have this feeling that you're going to create a lot of animosity between the fans, which they have so much good faith built up at this point. If you don't run cities outside of the major metropolitan cities, because there are people like me that, yeah, I will go to Chicago maybe once a year for something. But if I don't have to go to Chicago, I'm not going to Chicago. I hate going into those big cities. Well, and I, I would think, especially in this first year, because there's so much on the line. You have to, you've got to be looking good with your houses, to your advertisers, to the cons, with all that. So, I mean, within that first year, it's almost the same, the same strategy with Eric Bischoff, you know, with WCW when he took away the house shows. Build up, you know, that need that that you, you know the consumer needs to be salivating. They, they they want your product, and then boom, you give it back to them. Because eventually, you can only run those hot markets so often in a cycle before even at that point. I mean, easy comparison. You saw some of the numbers are down for you know traveling towards the Super Bowl. It's because the Patriots go so often, and it's right. such an it's, it's not that people are less interested or excited about the Patriots. It's but they've been there, done that. You know, they've experienced it, and to continually have you know they have so much of a fan base that can afford so much each and every time to go out there. One thing I did think was interesting uh, as we approach all out. Uh, last night, I actually went on the secondary market to kind of take a look at tickets and see how much things were because Carly and I still kind of entertaining the idea of driving up to the Sears Center to be there for uh, the second show up in Chicago. And Rick, I logged into StubHub and the cheapest ticket listing is $158 in section 218. 
So they're still selling at double market value on this secondary market. Yeah, you can get tickets, but yeah, you're going to have to pay for them. I think, you know, a good friend of the show, a personal friend of mine just up the road from me here right now, Kevin Mize, you know, he made the decision. He got that itch. He fought it, fought it, fought it. And then the day before last year's show, I think he got right up around those sections. He was up in the nosebleeds and him and his wife, I think it was like 220 a ticket. Yeah. Uh, So it's, I mean, you can see it's a little bit of a drop, but still a hot commodity there. Hey, before we uh, transition, a little breaking news. William Alicia from Last Word on Pro Wrestling sharing this story. Ring of Honor getting a little firepower. Joe Henry has just signed with them. Just announced on Twitter that he is no longer a free agent. He is heading towards Ring of Honor. Good pickup for ROH. Good pickup for ROH. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the buy-in battle royal. We saw the Road to All Out episode four drop the other day. And Rick, this time we're doing the All Out buy-in. We're going to do the buy-in battle royal again. It's going to be just like it was in Vegas where we're going to have four suits, one Joker card. We're going to bring out these giant groups of people again. But this time we're doing it with all women. And the woman that wins this thing, just like in the uh, original version, is going to get a shot at the AEW Women's Championship. We kind of discussed this and how they were going to crown the, the people that were going to compete for this thing. This is not what I wanted them to do again. Well, if, hold on, go back. This is going to be for a spot in that match or as the number one contender? It's My understanding is it's for a spot in that match, much like Hangman was. Well, wasn't that initially going to be a number one contender spot and then Hangman was transitioned into just giving the opportunity? Well, I think they made that a number one contender spot once they found out that the match with Pac was off. Correct. So uh, we need to, we'll have to clarify that here. Uh, I'm excited that they didn't just scrap this gimmick. You know me, I'm a sucker for anything Battle Royale, if it's a gauntlet or whatever. And I and I really like what they did with this thing. But the presentation, it just didn't come off right. So I'm hoping they're 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 realizing that and they're fine-tuning that thing and gonna, you know, iron out those wrinkles and try to, you know, keep rolling with this thing. One thing that I absolutely love is Jake the Snake Roberts as the dealer. I mean, if that dude doesn't scream dirty casino blackjack dealer. I don't know who in the hell does. That is the perfect role for Jake the Snake Roberts. Absolutely love it, man. You could could absolutely, just not even, you know, as one of those sleazy dealers, man. He's got like that pit boss, you know, sit behind the cage, down in the pit sort of thing going on with him. I hope they grease him off real good, too. And I I want uh, one of those cheesy, like, 80s, like Magnum P.I. shirts, unbuttoned halfway down, Get get the chest hair pooped out on him. That's the look I want. But you have the snake around his around his neck as well, right? Hell yeah! You, you, you get you get dealt your you get dealt your card by the devil himself. Oh, just how, how perfect is that? Just fantastic. And I think the biggest news coming out of the, you know who we're seeing now is going to be participating in this thing is a big name. Uh, it's going to be her first time out in the ring. And it's uh, the young Piper. Yeah, Teal Piper. Um, and immediately. Look at her, and you know who it is. You see the name, you look at her, and you have to know who it is. There were some people that were like, who the fuck is Teal Piper? Motherfucker, show some respect. That's Roddy Piper's daughter. Well, I was going to ask you this, too. How many motherfuckers do you think, if she's doing any kind of paying homage to her father, are going to be like, oh, they just ripped off Ronda's gimmick? Yeah, that that was one of my first thoughts. Hold on. At that point right there, uh, we're going to have to call in Ben Hamid. He's going to have to kind of just deputize all of us to start just handing out face laps. 
anyone across our platform here at the hittingthemarks.com or anyone on the Hami Media Group, well, he's going to have to give us all those privileges. If anybody makes that comparison, they're immediately getting bitch slapped. Yeah, I, I that has to go that. down. I think the what really jumped out to me to hell with Sharshar versus Tessa Blanchard. Now, I want to see Teal break a freaking coconut over Tamina's head. That is my new wrestling dream. It's money. It's absolute money. I was not impressed when they were just doing the Teal Piper kind of interview, introducing you to the to the character. But once that Jake the Snake vignette kicked in, you were like, oh, yeah, that's definitely Piper's daughter. Oh, yeah, certainly. Enjoyed that a lot. Uh, also on the episode, we got to see Nyla Rose absolutely featured. Um, I thought she did a real nice job of kind of talking around what it was that she was talking about. You, you could have applied that promo to anything. You could have applied that to big girls. You could have applied that to nerdy girls. You could have applied that to transgender girls. I, I, I thought say, we could apply it to chicks with dicks. Yeah, I, I thought she did a real nice job of kind of talking about her story without actually getting into the entire transgender thing. Like if you know what she's talking about, you know what she's talking about. And if you don't, you could easily think that she's just talking about being a big girl inside of the world of professional wrestling. Is that offensive to the transgender community, chicks with dicks? Um, I don't know. We'll have to seek some clarification <laughs> on that one. What did you think of the Nyla Rose interview? Hey, I love that what they did here. You're getting a spotlight. You see, you're getting to learn a little bit about her. She's showing, you know, that she can be a little more dynamic. You know, it's just not about being that monster inside the ring there. And it, it, it lends a little bit more to, you know, what I was talking about. I, th- I think she's the choice. I think that's the direction that they're going to go in here. It's, it's progressive on their part. Uh, and I think now... And now we're getting to her to open up. Now people can relate and invest a little bit in, you know, her journey here. Also announced for the Battle Royal, Britt Baker, Yuka Sakazaki, Allie, uh, Brandy Rhodes. Brandy Rhodes is announced for this thing, and she's kind of got that switchblade white thing going for her at this point for me. Where she, she winks at the camera and announces herself, and it's just like, you bitch, you better not win this fucking match. So help me fucking God, you had better not win this fucking match. That's kind of where I'm at with Brandy Rhodes at this point. And I think they know that they know the comparisons are out there and they want, they want people like, you know, like what you're feeling. They want that emotion. You know, they, they kind of want that heat on them then. And then I think it, it works in a positive way for them. Let her get close where you think it is going to happen. And then she doesn't. And, Cause then you, you have that sigh of relief and you understand, okay, she gets it. We'll talk about Switchblade here in just a little bit. Kind of the same oh, situation. Switchblade Switch getting some heat here in the States. Oh, we'll yeah. be talking about that SOB. Uh, also announced the, the two names that I think really kind of surprised everybody. But boy, am I excited for it. Evil Lease announced for the buy-in battle royal as well as former NWA women's champion Jazz. Uh, I was a little worried when uh, Jazz had to relinquish the NWA women's championship. Sounded like she was dealing with some injury issues as well as some personal issues. I was incredibly happy to see her pop up in this vignette. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, you know, this, you know, hopefully this isn't maybe just like a one-off, a special appearance. You know, something come in, work a battle royal, get a nice payday. We want to help you out, but you know, maybe do business down the line. Hopefully, she has found herself on the right path. You know, if it's anything personal or physically, you know that, that she's going to be back on a regular basis sooner or later. I don't care what promotion it is in, but somewhere down the line, if you want to talk a marquee women's money match, you got to give me Jazz and Beast. Another one is Eva Lee's. 
Eva Lee and Jazz, I want to see those two women square up inside of this battle royal. If you are not familiar with Eva Lee, you need to get familiar because this is one bad bitch. Yeah, so much, so much incredible women's talent out there, and it's and it seems like it's spread thin at times. But when you get to that that cream of the crop, I mean, you've got a great pool of talent. Obviously, they need 21 women for the Battle Royal. They don't have 21 women under contract, which is why we're seeing them bring in people like Teal Piper and Jazz and Ivelisse. Um, Rick, is there any other independent women out there that you just think, God, they, if they could just get her for this Battle Royal, that would be a great get for AEW? Uh, I absolutely have, too. I've been screaming, screaming for months, Uh damn near half a year about these two incredible talents here located in the state of Ohio. Uh, one's actually on the road with WWE this week. These two ladies are absolutely incredible. Uh, they tear, they tear down the house everywhere they go. One, she was uh, making headlines. She was the talk of the town on the indie scene up in at WrestleMania weekend. And that's Zoe sky. Uh, she absolutely was incredible. She was performing as angel there. Uh, she runs to here through Ohio trained by Johnny Gargano. Does a lot. Uh, she she works with us at Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. As I said, you know, AIW here. Uh, her, Zoe Sky, and Adam Mega Wrestling, who we've had on the show, the owner trainer there, Brandon Xavier. She also is the women's champion at Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling, and it's Jocelyn Navarro. And, and she's got a unique look, uh, Caribbean chocolate. She doesn't care. She gets up in anybody's face. She's got a great personality. She knows how to work an audience, and it's just an absolute, absolutely incredible athlete. These two women, I've been saying that women of honor should be jumping all over them, uh, especially you know with them sampling so much talent here in Ohio. But AEW, anybody out there, start tagging them. Tag these ladies in there. They, they have earned an opportunity to shine on a stage like that. Funny enough, when I was thinking about my two women that I would love to see in this thing, Zoe Sky was absolutely my number two. Uh, number one is Mercedes Martinez. Uh, obviously, she's a bit bigger name on the independent scene. Uh, she does a lot of stuff with Shine, but I would just love to see her get that kind of platform. I, I, why WWE never gave it to her? She went down there and killed it in both May Young Classics, and they didn't bring her in as, as a full-time member of the NXT roster. I really think she would be a great get for AEW. I, I, you know what I was curious with? There is the age issue. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, why you got to do it now. If you're going to well, do it, you got to do that's it. That's what I'm saying. And, you know, maybe that's why WWE didn't feel because, you know, when you look at that, you look at the Performance Center and NXT, we talk about a talent pool. You know, maybe they're just wondering, OK, by the time we get her in here and progress her through this system, she's going to be over that 4-0 mark. You know, maybe we just go with a, a younger, you know, a younger talent. I thought for sure. And maybe maybe they did offer something. And she said, you know what? Right now, I still want to you know, pursue my, my passion inside the ring. But I thought and hopefully eventually that she gets a job at the Performance Center as a trainer. And you talk about one of the, the premier women athletes of professional wrestling, just not right now, but over the course you know, over the last decade is Martinez. And there is so much that she can offer. And I'm so sure so much more going forward. So let's go ahead. Let's throw things over to the Far East and get your New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax update. Rick, it's the last one for G129 here on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast because by the next time we meet inside of the locker room, we will know who has won the G1. I, I don't know, looking back, where this is going to rank over the courses of my favorite G1s that I have watched. 
but it has to be very, very close to the top. The, the level of competition inside of this year's G1 Climax, it may not be as sexy as the last couple of years with Kenny winning it or the story of Tanahashi coming back and getting one final go-round as the ace. But I don't know, man. There is some interesting stories here inside of the G1 going into the Budokan. Hey, I, looking at the run and everything we had to review here, absolutely excited. Looking forward to seeing how this thing plays out. I'm saying it's just excited to talk about this thing. As you said, though, you know, going into this thing, the hype, the excitement surrounding this G1, it, it was off the charts. And it was because of a lot of great names, you know, that were making debuts, coming back. So, you know, so many talents with so much to prove, you know, maybe not just that one great story that you're talking about with the ace. But, I mean, there's a handful of people that were looking to absolutely prove themselves, redefine themselves. And this thing has delivered on all accounts. So let's talk about Wednesday. Wednesday, we saw Sonata defeat Lance Archer. Bad Luck Fale defeats and eliminates the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. We will not have a back-to-back G1 Climax winner this year. And, Rick, I don't think I've ever seen Tanahashi as devastated as he was after that loss to Bad Luck Fale, and that is certainly going to be a story going forward. Well, you talk about, well, just for Fale, hey, he's got a little fire here late in this thing. You know, picking up some big wins, now you get this elimination here. I mean, people are going to be talking about this for years. But in the case of the ace, you know, this has been a roller coaster of a year for him. And right now, he's got to feel like he's damn near at rock bottom, and this is going to be a tremendous story. You know, what is his, what's his role going to be now? He's usually, he's used to being at the top of that card at Wrestle Kingdom. Now, how's he going to fight his way back up there to try to get a marquee spot or something like that, or even on the show? I mean, that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to see develop throughout the rest of the of the year. Yeah, it's funny because when I think of all the big matches that I could see for Wrestle Kingdom, Hiroshi Tanahashi isn't in any of them right now, and that's kind of scary. Well, Osprey defeats Kenta. That was a fantastic match and basically ended any hope that Kenta had at winning the G1 this year just due to tiebreakers. Kota Ibushi finally defeats Zack Sabre Jr., gets that proverbial monkey off of his back, literally. Zack Sabre Jr., he's a freaking monkey. Yeah, that's not racist because he's white. Kazuchika Okada defeats Evil, putting the Rainmaker at 14 points. Rick, we're starting to see cocky Okada come back. Okada comes out in his uh, post-match promo and he says, you didn't really think I was going to lose twice back-to-back, did you? I'm the freaking Rainmaker. Well, I, I mean, this adds to this big match coming up. I mean, it all comes down to this. With everything on the line... I know you've got some some thoughts on this thing, how it's going to play out. I don't want to spoil any of those before we get to you on it. But could could this cocky side of Okada, could it bite him in the ass? I think it's going to bite him in the ass on Saturday. A block points as things stand. Okada at 14, Ibushi at 12. Those are the only two of any relevance whatsoever. Everybody else is eliminated. Evil at 8, Tanahashi at 8, Kenta at 8, Sonata at 8, Fale at 6, Osprey at 6, Zack Sabre Jr. at 6, and Lance Archer at 4. So Saturday, the main event inside the Budokan, Kazuchika Okada faces off with Kota Ibushi. And the winner is going to move on to the G1 final. Rick, we we talked about the curse of Osaka Monday inside of the locker room. Obviously, the Rainmaker is not going to go 0-3 down the stretch. But I have a feeling he's going to go 1-2. I'm going with Kota Ibushi to defeat Kazuchika Okada inside of the G1 Climax A block. Who are you picking, the Rainmaker or the Golden Star? Well, I, 
I love how you mentioned uh, on on Facebook. I think it was over. It was either in the Hami Media Discussion Group or in the PW Hustle Discussion Group that you expect this thing to go almost to the time limit, and then we get a, a close finish. Thirty minute time limit. I think this thing is going to go at least twenty nine minutes and fifty five seconds. Uh, I think we're going to get something compelling like that. I'm still going to stick with my pick. I think Okada is going to hold this thing. I think we're going to see the champ. Uh, I would have preferred that he would have ran the, the gauntlet here. Uh, but I, I think that was a little bit of a twist. We wanted to have this different kind of flavor here because had he won that match, this thing would have been all but locked up. Correct. Correct. So, yeah. So, so now we got that. Now we've got some excitement here. I still think Okada goes over looking at the standings though. You said everyone else is eliminated. Um, Still another winner here in the A block, Sonata, because he got that win and he has an opportunity. Yeah, Sonata will get a shot at the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship between now and Wrestle Kingdom. But of course, Okada is going to beat him. Uh, I guess the big question, if you're going with Okada, is Okada going to beat Ibushi? Or does this thing go to a time limit draw? Because the way that this thing is laid out with Okada at 12 and Ibushi, or Ibushi at 12 and Okada at 14, Ibushi has to beat Okada. Okada doesn't have to beat Ibushi. This thing could go to a time limit draw. This thing could go to a no contest. And Okada is the one that wins the A block. Do you think that the Rainmaker actually puts Ibushi down? Or does this thing go to a time limit? I could absolutely see that, you know, where he just maybe outthinks it. Now, if you're going, if you're looking at strategy, if you're Ibushi, you got to come out of the gate. You want to get this thing over with. And if you're Okada, you know, you've got that advantage. You, you can toy around with him. You can take your time. You expect that to play into this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okada is going to use every stall tactic on the face of the planet. I thought it was hilarious this morning as I was watching the undercard tag matches at the end of the match. Okada's team goes over and you know how they always do like, you know, the little square off at the in the middle of the ring kind of to promote the next match. Okada just ignored Ibushi. He's like holding up the title, looking around him, you know, just cheering at the fans, waving at fans, not paying any attention to Kota Ibushi, and Ibushi was getting pissed. Okada even turned his back to Ibushi at one point, just like he wasn't even there. He's going to fire up Kota Ibushi. It, it, this is going to be a fantastic match. I can't freaking wait. Yeah, it's going to be uh, one of the highlights of the weekend. Also on the card, you're going to see Hiroshi Tanahashi tangle with Will Ospreay. See if Ospreay can get himself a big win over the ace, and the ace's kind of career just continues to swirl around the drain a little bit. Kenta's going to face off with Zack Sabre Jr., and Zack Sabre Jr. is going to rip his arm off and beat him with it. Bad Luck Fale is going to face off with Sonata, and Evil dances with Lance Archer on the final night of the A Block. Thursday's matches, B Block took center stage, and Rick, unlike the A Block, the B Block is wide freaking open. We saw Toru Yano defeat Tai Chi in an absolutely ridiculous match that ended with Tai Chi and uh, Kanamaru getting wrapped up inside of the ring apron and counted out. Tetsuya Naito defeats Jeff Cobb. Hiroki Goto defeats John Moxley and all but eliminates Mox from the tournament. Jay White defeats Juice Robinson in a fantastic match. I don't know what it is. Those two guys have impeccable chemistry together. And then your main event, which was all but irrelevant, really. I mean, Ishii could have stayed in this thing if he would have won this match. But Shingo Takagi takes down Tomohiro Ishii. I never want to hear anybody try to tell me again that Shingo Takagi is a freaking junior. Takagi is bigger than fucking Ishii. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm with 100. I was just kind of looking at the standings here. 
trying to make a little sense of this thing that you said. I mean, you've got your, your eight pointers. They got an outside shot, but it's, it's all about these top four here at this 10 spot. Yeah, uh, this is going to be interesting. So the top four in the 10 spot, John Moxley, Tetsuya Naito, Hiroki Goto, and Switchblade Jay White, who has crawled his way all the way back into this damn thing. Then you have Ishii and Yano at eight, Cobb, Juice, Shingo, and Taichi at six. So here are the, the way things are going to shake out going into Sunday. I do not know the order of the matches at this point. John Moxley is going to tingle with Juice Robinson. Rick, I'm going with Juice to go over on John Moxley to set up a rematch for the U.S. title. What do you think? I'd really hate to see Moxley, you know, drop those last three. And as you said, I mean, there's still a, a still has a fighting chance to win this thing. It's it's not favorable. Well, in order to win this thing, it, he, he needs a lot of help. Well, it just essentially, I mean, first of all, he has to beat juice. Yes. If he loses, then he is eliminated. So to even give himself a fighting chance, he's got to beat juice. And this is going to be a tremendous, a tremendous rematch here. Uh, juice with so much to prove, you know, in that last one, he kind of said that was that match is on itself. That was saying goodbye to CJ Perry. Now I am simply just Juice Robinson. This is my true evolution, you know, to from leaving WWE to becoming a, a true star in New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's what that represented. This is going to be a different dynamic here. It's going to be very interesting. Just without the stakes for Moxley inside of the B block, I mean, just itself, this match is going to be, you know, an interesting one to, to take in. But if Moxley gets the win there, he's also going to need Goto and White to lose. And then that would give him the block because he has the tiebreaker over Naito. Yeah. But if Jay white loses, then Naito moves to 12 Moxley moves to 12. Um, oh yeah. Because we got white and Naito. So yeah. Right. Like th this thing is complicated. Well, I, well, no, at that point, if, okay. Moxley has to win. Yes. That would put him at 12. Naito wins and goes to 12. Then Moxley's got the tiebreaker. Right. Yep. Yep. You're right. You're so he would, right. he would grab that there, but then you also have, then you also need Goto to go down. Right. Now, let me ask you this. Let's say that Moxley, Goto, and White all get to 12. Is in that tiebreaker scenario, Moxley's eliminated because they both have wins over him? Correct. Okay. And then um, who won the Jay White Goto match? That had to be, that had to be Goto. I, been, I believe so. That would have been one of the first three matches that Switchblade had. So, yeah. Yeah, that would have been Goto. Uh, tai Chi is going to tangle with Ishii, which is always fun for me because I love watching Tai Chi getting that ass whooped. Uh, Jeff Cobb is going to dance with Toru Yano. Rick, is Jeff Cobb the biggest disappointment inside of this tournament? I would say a disappointment. I just think he maybe got lost in the shuffle of so many people that were shining. And, and I wanted to point out here, as we look at you know people that were making their debuts here, all the excitement around Kenta, you know, coming back to Japan, this and even more so to New Japan, which you know was tremendous waves across the professional wrestling world, and then to see John Moxley join this thing, you know that was just you know the cherry on top of everything. These newcomers, they came out of the gate hot. They looked like they were on fire. They were unstoppable. But the turn, it shows you the wear and the tear. If this thing is, you know, it's not a it's not a sprint. This thing is a journey. And if they fell off a little bit at the end, I think you'd have to have a little disappointment there on their behalf. But I think, you know, there was just, you got the story of people 
overachieving and, and not, not overachieving, but overcoming and trying to chase this thing. You know, now that you've got Jay White emerging, I, I think, you know, with, uh, you know, Archer at only with four points, but still a tremendous showing. We talked about that going in. You know, this was a huge proving ground for him. And I think he absolutely delivered there. Uh, Osprey did a, you know, an incredible job. Maybe if we're going to talk, you know, little letdowns, perhaps Zack Sabre Jr.? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, if you would have told me that Zack Sabre Jr. was going to be so low in the points total, I would have called you absolutely crazy. But I have absolutely loved the petulant child angle with Zack Sabre Jr. Oh, yeah, I love the storytelling there. But like you said, when you're sitting there second, second to the seller in your block, that's a letdown for somebody like him. Hiroki Goto is going to tangle with Shingo. Um, if Goto wins this damn thing, I'm going to be so disappointed. See, that's going to be the big one to watch. I, I think that will be, when we're talking about looking, you know, a week from now, when we're looking back at this thing, I think if you put Goto in that spot, it's going to it's going to seriously damage you know how we're going to remember this entire this entire G1. Absolutely. Shingo Takagi has been absolutely fantastic even though he only has 6 points. I think he has firmly established himself as a heavyweight. I never want to see him wrestle a junior match ever ever again. Uh one thing that I do think is interesting was Shingo getting the win over Tomohiro Ishii, which I didn't really see coming to be completely honest. He is now owed a shot at the Never Openweight Championship, and I think that could be a really good belt for Shingo to carry for a while. Well, and I think, you know, that's how you really establish making that transition, you know, from the junior to the heavyweight. The match that I expect is going to be the main event on Sunday. Switchblade Jay White tangles with Tetsuya Naito. It's Bullet Club versus LIJ. It's any number of storylines that you want to look at. Last year, I was convinced Tetsuya Naito was going to win the G1 Climax. That didn't happen. This year, Jay White started off 0-3. Nobody's ever started 0-3 and come back to win a block. But, you know, there was a hell of a lot of storytelling going on there. Jay White has won every match that he has had inside of this G1 that was not against a member of Chaos. If you go back a little ways, if you remember... Switchblade joined Chaos, betrayed Chaos, this was the Chaos Revenge Tour, and since then, Switchblade said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to win six in a row, and I'm going to win the B-Block. Rick, Switchblade Jay White has never lied to us. Switchblade said that he was going to beat Kenny Omega for the United States Championship, and he did. Switchblade said that he was going to beat Hiroshi Tanahashi for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, and he did. Switchblade said he was going to win six in a row and claim the B block. Is he going to put down Naito and win this fucking thing? I mean, what a what an amazing run and accomplishment that be coming from so far behind, you know, left for dead, if you will, uh, and to hold true to everything that he said. And it's it's going to speak to that they still have all this faith in these plans for him. I tell you what, though, I, he's he's getting that heat here with the states. You know, taking the cheap shots at the at the entire U.S. I'm looking forward to, and he's owed an opportunity at Moxley for that United States championship. Yeah. I, I want to see that play out. You know, in that case with the way this thing is, the way things are lining up here, absolutely would not mind if he continues on this, this war against the States, if he takes that championship just to add some serious fuel to that fire. So best case scenario in my mind, inside of the Budokan Monday morning, you end up with Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito. 
And we know what happens when Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito get into a ring together. Somebody stands a very good chance of dying. That is the 100%. That is the story of those two. Worst case scenario, it's got to be like Goto versus Okada, right? Yeah. And at that point, when we see the champ, I think you got to have the champ win this thing and go on to select his own. The other one that is out there, and I got to throw it out there, Switchblade Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada. Switchblade comes back. He wins six in a row. He dropped his first three matches to Chaos members. And now he comes face to face with the leader of Chaos, the man that he says he is going to put down for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. If it comes down to Switchblade versus Okada, Rick, I, I, I think there might be another story here that we have kind of forgotten about. Do you remember the Chaos Mole? We never had it revealed. Who was the Chaos Mole? Could we see somebody betray Kazuchika Okada so that Switchblade Jay White wins the fucking G1? At that point, I mean, would you kind of, would you hold, would you hold that card close, close to you and see how that match is playing out? And if you're going to reveal that and you think that, or maybe you got some, some other plans in store, but if you can get Switchblade over in this thing and send him to Wrestle Kingdom, would you save that mole? that ultimate betrayal for the big stage? Or do you assure yourself, you use that big surprise to assure you get there? It's got to be Rocky Romero, doesn't it? Rocky Romero and Switchblade have been feuding throughout this entire tournament. And then on the other hand, every time Okada comes out, Kevin Kelly is always sure to point out, hey, Rocky, that's your best friend. He already lost his manager in Gato. Could he lose his best friend, Rocky Romero, to the fucking switchblade? Have everybody losing everything. We talked about that, you know, building towards that story. And, hey, you know, we always get on WWE, six months of booking in six minutes. What's beautiful about New Japan is they take six months of booking and I'll give it to you for 18 months. Yeah, when was the last time we talked about the Chaos Mole? A year ago? And, and now it could potentially all come full circle. Look at it and really kind of diving into this thing. You had mentioned, Jargo, you weren't sure how these matches are going to lay out. I think that's going to be very telling as, as this, this show progresses here. I mean, obviously, your main event has got to be White and Aito, correct? You would think, right? But at that, but at that point, you know, if that does main event, then you do lean towards like Juice going over Moxley. Because if Moxley wins that, that, no, I guess, because there's so many different scenarios here. Because Well, I mean, that would eliminate Naito in your main event, even if he would win it, because Moxley owns that tiebreaker. Right. But so Switchblade that, has the tiebreaker over Mox. Yeah. So essentially, that would just, that would just eliminate Naito if he would win earlier in the night. But if Moxley loses, then you're, you're kind of playing into it. And then if Goto would lose, then the whole block comes down to that main event. I guess the other option that we should discuss, what if it ends up Switchblade Jay White versus Kota Ibushi? Then what? Who do you go with in that scenario on Monday? Uh, what do you think in your mind? And I guess we could go at this from a number of different angles. Uh, but your first instinct, which is the bigger event for the Dome? It's a bigger match. It's so hard because I think the bigger match is Kota Ibushi versus Kazuchika Okada. The better story is Switchblade Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada. 
So I'm really, really torn. I could go kind of either way on this thing. Although, I, of course, I really want Kota Ibushi to win. But I feel like Switchblade is the better story going into the Dome. And I think, you know, as, as that traditional, a true New Japan fan, and especially that, that home base for them, they want to get back to where it is theirs. So I think, you know, they would probably prefer Ibushi. But if we're talking about that that expansion and that gen, that larger audience, I think your money's with Jay White. Man, I'm really torn on that. And you're, and you're talking about that story. I guess one positive, you know, if, if it isn't Ibushi, or if it is Ibushi and White and you have White go over there, Ibushi still gets a title opportunity. Right. That's a valid point. That's a valid point. Um, but you do have... Yeah, I think I've asked you... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you do have two nights of Wrestle Kingdom. So do you take the loser of the G1 and put them against the Intercontinental Champion on night one? And again, you know, it's all about this journey when we get there. You know, who's going to be representing the championship at that time? Because if it's if it's still Tetsuya Naito, obviously you have a built-in story with Switchblade Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada. You have a built-in story with Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental Championship. However... There's been so much talk about Kota Ibushi winning the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. And we've all said for at least a year that Switchblade should be at that Intercontinental Championship level. So could we see Switchblade Jay White versus Tetsuya Naito and Kota Ibushi versus Kazuchika Okada? Or do you flip it around? And do you do Switchblade and versus Okada and Ibushi versus Naito? Which would you rather see? One of the turn turnoffs with that scenario, uh, one, I wouldn't like just the loser of this tournament be, being given that opportunity. I wish I, I hope there's another way that they play it out where it seems like it's not a second place, a runner up. Well, well, if if you do switchblade Jay White, he would have to beat Tetsuya Naito, which would then owe him a shot at the Intercontinental Championship. That could, you could get there with that in that scenario there. I, almost to me, though. I would, and that, if that was the case, I would rather have Sonata, I mean Okada and Abushi, because I feel like, on the other hand, if it's Naito and Abushi, I feel like we—it's one of those repeat matches that I feel like I've seen so many times. Yeah, it's definitely a match that we've seen several times, but it, it's a good match every time. That—that—that's the only perk. You know, you're going to get four and a half stars out of those two. Oh, absolutely. It's just, you know, it just, it, it gets repetitive at times. Yeah. It's it, who's going to drop who on their head first. And I do have a question for you. And I, I think I've asked you this before. I just don't remember if you give me the answer. Okada goes to the finals here and then loses to whomever. If it's, you know, white, uh, Nate or anybody. Are they owed two shots or just the opportunity? At just the, the one. Okay. Just the one. I didn't know if it was, okay, you get to go headline the Dome because you won the tournament. And then, hey, you also happen to pin the champs. You got a double dose or if it's just one shot. Yep, just the one shot. All right, so let's let's go ahead. Let's talk about TakeOver because that's going to go down on Saturday as well. Um, Rick, I, 
there's going to be two matches before TakeOver that are going to air on next week's show that I am incredibly intrigued by. The first one is going to be Matt Riddle taking on Killian Dane. We saw Killian Dane jump Matt Riddle a couple of weeks ago after his match. That match was supposed to happen this week on NXT, but once again, before the bell, Killian Dane comes out of the crowd, takes out Matt Riddle. Uh, is Killian Dane one of these guys that we can actually rehab inside of NXT? We're seeing them send a lot of main roster talent down there. We saw him do it with Apollo Crews. We're seeing Tyler Breeze. We're seeing Fondango. What do you think about Killian Dane? He wasn't that defined down on the main roster because Sanity never really got a fair shot. And I, you know, that was a situation. I, I, don't, I don't think, and I'll put that blame on Vince. I think rightfully so, you know, all things run through him that he understood what he had with them. And it's through that he never got, you know, got to see, especially what he had with Killian Dane. I mean, such a tremendous, you know, wrestling look. And the guy is athletic as hell. Yes. My biggest fear here, though, is that even in this this short term retooling, you know, the hype up, they're building him up. I think it's just a put over with. I, I'm, that's what I'm afraid of, too. Although there has been some conversation that there is some heat on Matt Riddle for going after some of these legends, um, w- whether it be Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Um, obviously, we've seen him go at Goldberg. Now we're seeing him go at Jericho. He, he's made a couple of comments about HBK. What do you think, man? Because there is a report out there that this was supposed to be Matt Riddle's takeover. This was supposed to be Matt Riddle versus Adam Cole in the main event. And they moved Riddle out of that spot because there's some heat on Matt Riddle. Well, that's what we're hearing from William Alessio over at Last Word on Pro Wrestling. I mean, this was his moment to shine, and and now they've kind of pulled back a little bit on that. I'm wondering how much of this is actually manufactured in-house. You know, at some point for him to continue to do this, and and it plays into, you know, the whole concept of, you know, the persona of Riddle. You know, he he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, and that's who he is. I mean, look how long it took him to even get to WWE because he didn't want to give up a spot. You know, he's he's the ultimate bro, dude. He just does. He's calm, cool and easy. So I wonder how much of this is being manufactured in house to try to get some kind of reaction here. Looking forward to the matchup, though. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what these two guys can do against each other. The other matchup that's going to be happening should be on TakeOver because this is going to be the biggest match of the weekend. Huckleberry, it's the return of Brizongo. We saw Fondango come out and help out his little buddy Tyler Breeze here uh, last week on NXT TV. They're going to be tangling with the Forgotten Sons at TakeOver. Rick, but I thought this was interesting. We, we got to see a backstage with Tyler Breeze and Fondango. I want to plug in the audio for that right here. Well, the entire NXT universe on their feet dancing surprised by Fandango's return. Incredible moment here at NXT. Kelly, I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. Shh. Dude. Dude. Stop talking. Where have you been? Breezy, I was in too deep, man. What do you mean? I was in too deep. You see, we were so concerned about policing everyone else in their fashion sense. We haven't been policing ourselves. We haven't been policing ourselves, Breeze. Okay, what are you saying? I'm saying our fashion sense is a little, little whack. What what is whack? It's whack. It's it's what the kids are saying. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Bad. Bad? Bad. Uh, Really? It's bad. It's getting bad. Yeah, well, I did. That's why I had to step back. So what do we do now? I think Brizango needs a little, a little makeover. Like, 
A refresher? Like... Brizango. Reimagined. So Deputy Dango is telling Tyler, we gotta get more serious. We need to reimagine the fashion police. Our, our sense of style has slipped because we were so focused on all this other stuff. We need to reimagine Brizongo. Rick, what the fuck does that mean? You know what? I have absolutely zero clue, but coming from the imagination of those two, I am greatly looking forward to it. I am greatly looking forward to this matchup. I can't wait to see what these guys bust out. Of course, we saw Fondango. He's wearing like a leather jacket and he's in jeans and he's tearing off wife beaters. Like maybe we're going to get that more serious fashion police. Hopefully we can just drop the fashion police and Brizongo. Hell, I'm, I'm even fine with dropping Fondango. Let's just go back to Tyler Breeze and Johnny Curtis. Absolutely. Yeah, let's get, as you said, you know, they're reimagining something. Hopefully it's retooled in that direction where these guys can take any kind of persona and make it shine. They're absolutely tremendous in that way. All they do is get themselves over. And, and going back to NXT, what, which I'm sure you and all of their fans are looking forward to, is getting back to really shining bell to bell inside that ring because we've got two absolutely incredible athletes they can go in there and do amazing things and wow audiences wherever they go. This is this is absolutely something tremendous to see an opportunity where a year or so ago it just would have been, you know, good luck in your future endeavors. That now that they have an opportunity to go back to a brand that focuses more, that is geared towards that, that in-ring style. So let's talk a little bit about Takeover Toronto Part Two. Uh, TakeOver Toronto, man, that first TakeOver Toronto, very understated TakeOver. I thought that was a great TakeOver that people just don't give nearly enough credit to. Uh, this one's going to be interesting, Rick. I think this might be the longest TakeOver in history. I'm we, just going to point that out. Six matches. Six matches on this one, and the main event is two out of three falls. So it's really more like, you know, eight or nine matches on this card. Uh, the first matchup is going to be the finals of the breakout tournament. Uh, have, are you current on NXT? I know you like to binge watch going into TakeOver. What have you thought about this breakout tournament? Uh, I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm loving the names in here. Uh, we're getting some re, you know, going back to what we were talking about, some retooling of, you know, previous personas, getting them under the, the WWE NXT banner. Uh, but not that I've seen all of it. I've watched every minute of every match. But uh, what I've seen, I, I've enjoyed. Uh, and I'm, I'm liking this final. The final is going to be ACH versus Trevor Lee or whatever the hell their names are now. Uh, Trevor Lee, I know, is Cameron Grimes. I can't remember ACH's name to save my freaking soul. I love me some ACH. ACH and seeing him in New Japan Pro Wrestling when it would come time for like the Super Juniors tournament. He was always one of the highlights to me. I loved his work in Ring of Honor. I, I've always considered myself a fan of ACH. But this new character that he's doing is annoying the ever-loving shit out of me. See, I'm kind of digging it. You know, they're going, they're trying something different here to see if it works. Uh, we're talking about, you know, what the focus is going to be here is the athleticism between these two, and I'm expecting this thing to be fast-paced. As you pointed out, not, I mean, we've got six on the card, but we got to, you know, see what's going to actually be around eight or nine matches. I think this one's going to be boom, 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 get it over with. I don't think they're going to get a whole lot of time, so look for some fast spots. You know, and some high-packed athleticism. 
winner is going to get a shot at whatever NXT championship they want. I have to assume that Cameron Grimes is going over here, right? Oh, that's that's the direction I was looking at. That, that, that just seems like a foregone conclusion to me at this point. Your grudge match of this takeover is going to be, for the first time, a women's match. We have two women's matches on this takeover. I believe that is a first. Candice LeRae is going to take on the newly heel Io Shirai, or maybe she's going to face Asuka because evidently Io Shirai is tagging with Kyrie Sane on the main roster, along with Paige as part of the Kabuki Warriors. You see that bullshit on Monday Night Raw? Yeah, you know, everyone's jumping, you know, they all look the same. This is racist. No, I think it was just somebody in production, uh, you know, kind of ribbing the WWE creative for like, no, this is what you guys fucked up. This is how it should have been from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. This is how it should have been from the beginning. It should have been the Sky Pirates, not the goddamn Kabuki Warriors. Candice LeRae and EO going to tangle. I'm looking forward to this match. I think that this the buildup to this match has been absolutely fantastic. There's like three, four months worth of storytelling going into this match. These two ladies being incredibly close friends and then EO just losing her mind and turning heel on Candice. Candice wants retribution. I think these two ladies are going to tear down the freaking house. In fact, I think this match is going to be better than the NXT Women's Championship match. I would agree with you. Hopefully they're given some time to get in there and work this thing out. I mean, they're going to, it seems like they got a good chemistry from, you know, what I've seen between the two, but I mean, just going into thing that the, the ultimate story here, you got the American good girl, you know, the girl next door, the baby doll blonde, you know, everybody's little dream. The one you want to take home to mom versus the exotic evil. Even in, just in that, just in that contrast there, I mean, you got the makings of something great there and then they can absolutely go inside the ring. If they're given the time here, this could be one that steals the show. You know, just kind of suddenly it's not going to they're not going to get super crazy here. But it's something that, you know, could be ranked up there as as we look back at this thing. You're like, wow, you know, they, they really did something there. Everything says EO should win this thing. I'm going with Candace. I feel like this match is incredibly important for Candice LeRae. Either Candice wins this match or she is defined as the Cassius Ono of the women's division. She is the gatekeeper and Candice LeRae deserves better than that. This is you can immediately rebuild Candice and make her a legitimate contender if she just wins this freaking match with Io Shirai. And on the on the flip side with Shirai, you can use the frustration to further that evil turn. You know, use this fuel as a as a true hatred inside of you. She doesn't need this win here. In many ways, the loss does more for her character going forward. Yeah, and Candace absolutely needs a big win. And, and I think there, you know, ultimately to really define Candace, as we put over so many times, we're hoping she's the one that dethrones Baszler. And then at that point, you're going to need a new challenger. And that could be Shirai. And letting all that, that hate just fester with her and that, that big loss in Toronto just eating her alive and then just take her viciousness to a whole new level. That's going to that's gonna give you down the line and energy for this division. Absolutely. NXT Tag Team Championships on the line. Street Profits going to dance with the Undisputed Era. Uh, this week on NXT, we saw the contract signing. Of course, I immediately compared it to the contract signing that we saw on Road to All Out, Episode 3. Here's a hint. The AEW one was much better. Uh, they, they tried to do comedy here, and that is not what I want to see from the Street Profits. I want to see the Street Profits get serious. 
I, I thought Montez Ford's promo was absolutely awful. I thought Kyle and Bobby were awful. I mean, hell, they had the full sale crowd chanting, shut up, Bobby, at Bobby Fish. The, this just was not put together very well. As much as we put over NXT, this was one where they totally missed the mark. This this had just um, a stench, uh, a little too much stench of main roster. Yeah, way too scripted. Yeah, and you know, and it's it's working for the Street Pirates when you know we're seeing them pop up, you know, on Monday or Tuesday, wherever it might be, and it's working there. But we don't need that to transition over at this point. If and it, I think it was a, you know a couple of weeks ago we were talking about this, and I suggested maybe they do double duty. I'd be fine with that. But if they're going to go this direction, they're not going to define okay what the NXT champs are and then what we see on Monday nights. If we're going to have blur of those two, then just get them away from it from from NXT right now. Let's just go ahead and make that transition. Let them roll on with what they're doing. They're going to have success with that. They've got some great charisma. People are kind of taken to it. Let's get them going something full steam, you know, on Mondays or Tuesdays. And let's just keep NXT going in its own direction. Let's let's go back to probably where you should have been hit a reset here and get it to undisputed. Yeah, I, I agree. Undisputed era over strong North American championship on the line. Velveteen dream versus Pete Dunn versus Roderick strong. Rick, I, I want Roddy to win this match because I want Undisputed Era to be draped in gold at the end of this takeover. But I, I'm starting to feel like the match I really want to see is Cameron Grimes versus the Velveteen Dream for the North American Championship. I could see him going in that direction. I, I believe it was you, though, that said, you know, maybe we see this match. You can protect Scott, you can, uh, the Dream. You can protect the Dream in this, in this match simply. Strong pins done. Yeah. And and then you use this instead of going back after strong, he kind of leapfrogs him and goes after Cole. Ooh, I can get behind that. Okay, you guys got one on me, undisputed. You got my belt. You know what? I had that. I did that for a while. I made that title. People recognize it now. Roddy, you didn't beat me, so I'm not even worried about you. Now I'm going after your your top guy. I'm going after the one with the big gold. Does Cameron Grimes versus Roderick Strong do it, though? I, because everything that we've seen from Cameron Grimes at this point, he's clearly coming off as a heel. Roderick Strong is most definitely a heel. Does a heel versus heel matchup for a mid-card title work? Yeah, because I don't think we're going to get a big program out of it. I, I think we just get this on a weekly One show. Off. Yeah, it's going to be just a showcase of talent inside the ring there. Hell, you know, if I, as we were talking about that match just earlier, I'm just thinking to myself in my head, you know, what what title would you challenge for? Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing if he just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to challenge for the NXT UK title. Who wants to face Walter? I mean, if you, if you get your choice of Velveteen Dream, Pete Dunne, Roderick Strong, Johnny Gargano, or Adam Cole, who in the hell is going to pick Walter? I mean, if you're looking to define yourself, go big, go home, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess there is that. NXT Women's Championship on the line. Shayna Baszler defends against Mia Yim. Rick, once again, you know, we, we keep waiting for Baszler to lose this title. This is the match that it seems like she should win. I almost think they put Mia Yim over here. Certainly, certainly could see that, but I, I don't agree with the with the decision. I, I'm with you. I, I think Baszler should win this match because I want Baszler versus Candice. Well, and I think, well, it looks... And that is, you know, that's what we're really looking for. And it's what we've been looking forward to. You know, we wanted it to happen, you know, this coming weekend, essentially, or this within this next week, we were thinking, you know, get through uh, this takeover and then do it 
at the next tapings or something like that, but get it on air as fast as you can. But let's, let's really look at play here. You know, we got s- such strong rumors swirling around that NXT to FS1. You think those executives, they're not sitting there demanding, oh, that Baszler girl. No, you guys are filling an MMA spot that we used to carry. We want her. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, I think the other one that we got to throw into that conversation is Dakota Kai. Um, Of course, we all thought that Dakota Kai was going to be the one to unseat Baszler. She gets injured. I don't think anybody thought that Baszler was still going to be in NXT when Dakota Kai came back. But Dakota Kai is really close to coming back. We could see that feud kick back up as well. Um, The other thing that I have an issue with this match is Mia Yim. And the way that she delivered her promo for this match, because she's talking about how Sheena Baszler's always got the other two horsewomen. She always needs the other two horsewomen to win a match. Rick, that's that's just not the case. I mean, yeah, we, we've seen Duke and Shafir and they've had their share of interference. But a lot of times when it comes to these championship matches, they don't even accompany Baszler to the ring. Well, and obviously, you know, it, just, it could play into like a psychological game, though. OK, you know, where it's where you're trying to get Baszler to even question herself. Like, all right, do I use, do I actually use these? But you are, I mean, you're absolutely correct. Usually if it's a big moment, Baszler would just put a bitch down herself. Yeah. Like it just, it felt incredibly disconnected. The whole Mia Yim promo as somebody who's watched just about every match that Shayna Baszler has had inside of NXT. No, that's, that's not the case. Hell like Baszler was running rabid through the division before Duke and Shafir were even there. It just, the whole promo kind of fell on deaf ears for me. I think, you know, they were just trying to go with it. It's just screamed. There wasn't maybe a whole lot of thought put into the, you know, creating the promo. And they just went with like a classic pro wrestling. Okay. It's me versus the world. You know, I'm I'm not only taking on this, you know, dominating champ, a a star of MMA, but she's also got these, these goons with her. I, I think they were just going for like a traditional feel. The other thing that's kind of disconnected for me is Io Shirai turns heel on Shayna Baszler, which immediately kind of puts sympathy on Shayna Baszler. Then you have Mia Yim sneak attacking the other two, and it's just like, I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to feel about Shayna Baszler at this point inside of the NXT universe. I Like, they're, they're still trying to portray her as this big badass heel, but everything that they've done since the last takeover kind of says otherwise. Yeah, I mean, even yeah, in the finish, you know, they're putting sympathy on her, overcoming, you know, all these obstacles. Yeah, it's it's just kind of been a weird build for Mia Yim versus Baszler. NXT Championship, three stages of hell. Adam Cole defends against Johnny Gargano. We know that one is going to be a street fight. We know two is going to be a regular match because Johnny Wrestling can't actually beat Adam Cole at a wrestling match. And the third stipulation will be named by general manager William Regal. But Rick, the rumors are flying that Tommy Entertainment could very well be on his way back. Is there any chance that that third stage of hell becomes a triple threat with Tommy Entertainment? You know, that was something I threw out there. We had talked, you know, last week as we were kind of just hyping up for, you know, the full preview here. What kind of involvement? At that point, we knew he was he was clear for, you know, not full out bumps and all that, but he could get involved. We talked about maybe he becomes the guest referee, uh, so, you know, and we get some kind of situation where he costs Johnny the match so that Cole can escape with the title. Something similar that we saw at SummerSlam so many years ago involving Undertaker, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Uh, even if, you know, Michaels might happen to be the agent on this match. We talked about that. 
What a hell of a swerve. I mean, you want to talk about creating a crazy buzz. You, you get to that third fall, and and here comes Regal. And, and I, you, you're going to have to get real creative when they do this, you know, to get that twist and turn here to say, I know you guys just busted your ass for two falls. You just beat the living shit out of each other. But now I'm going to just, I'm going to give someone, I'm entering someone into this match now. I mean, that would be absolutely insane. It's a real dangerous slope. It's a very dangerous slope. And I still, even if they add Tommaso Ciampa into this matchup, whether it be as a guest referee, whether it be as a third competitor, I'm going with Adam Cole to retain here. Even if they put Ciampa in this match, I'm going with Adam Cole to retain. And then the feud going forward is a babyface Tommy Entertainment because his heat is gone. WWE has absolutely killed Tommy Entertainment's heat. But I could absolutely see Ciampa as a babyface going after Adam Cole and pull for whoever the hell you want to pull for. Well, I, I really love the dynamic. Now that you know we talk it out here, I would lean more towards that, that guest referee spot and have him cost Johnny. So you have Agreed. Cole, the, the, the coward, it's still escaped. And it's, it's just as you're talking all the heat's gone on on Tommy now. I mean, people are just going to rally behind him. He can still have the badass persona and do everything that he's doing, but but people, he's not going to get that heat. You know, he's not going to generate the booze and all that. They're going to want to stand behind him. So with that, you get you've got that badass baby face. You've got the very eccentric dream that could be on the chase. Then you've got you know crazy ass Gargano, and his mind has no idea what the hell is going on. He's on the chase here. You could throw in a, a handful of other people here. But you've got Cole running from all those individuals as that chicken shit heel that just keeps escaping. That's that's classic storytelling right there. And that's a money roll for Adam Cole. That is a money roll for swarmy dick Adam Cole, without any well, question. And, well, and then look at this. If you want to build towards, which I think would be, this could be something that we could we could kind of debate. We got war games at the next big takeover. You could have all the gold in that match. Maybe put, I don't know, put it on the line or something, but you got all these other like weird bastards coming together to take on, to take on undisputed era. I mean, you could have Gargano, Tommy dream and get someone else into that mix against undisputed. You saying that makes me want to go to takeover. And I had already decided I wasn't going to take over Chicago three because it's not until November and getting from Cedar Rapids to Chicago in November is a complete crapshoot when you're buying tickets three months ahead of time. Let's go ahead. We're going to throw it over to a break and a word from our good friend, Stevie Richards and Stevie Richards fitness. We'll be right back to talk some SummerSlam on the back end. Stick around. Hey, this is Stevie Richards. I'm here to tell you, you don't necessarily need all this equipment to get in the best shape of your life. All you need is this, a resistance band. I'm so excited to offer the 12-week resistance band training program to you, which features an interactive PDF with full overview videos, modifications, descriptions of all the exercises, scalability, no matter what fitness level or what age you are, the PDF scales the workout to you. Also, after your instant download of the PDF, you get full direct email support right from me, as well as access to a Facebook group with an awesome interactive community. I can't wait to help you take control of your fitness journey. So just put in stevierichardsfitness.com, go to the store, and download the 12-week resistance band training program. Boom, boom, Cabana. Boom, boom, Cabana. Boom, boom, Cabana. It's Cabana. Hey, this is 
professional wrestler Cole Cabana, and one thing I would never do is hit the marks, which is weird, because you're listening to Hitting the Marks. All right, Huckleberry, so we're back. Thank you, Mr. Stevie Richards, for uh, Stevie Richards Fitness. Rick, we, we, we got to address something on Impact that I heard, because shortly before we started recording today, I did the Impact Press Pass with uh, one Mr. Sammy Callahan, and... Uh, it's a great listen. Absolutely. Anytime Sammy is on the press pass, you need to go listen to it with, without any question. And he talks a lot about intergender wrestling. He talks a lot about what's going on in Ohio. But as I was listening to this thing, it was clear to me there's been so much talk about Brian Cage being the Impact World Champion. There's so much talk about Tessa Blanchard being the biggest star that Impact has. Sammy Callahan is the face of Impact Wrestling. If you need somebody to cut one promo to talk people into a building, if you need one person to do media without any question, it's Sammy Callahan. Sammy Callahan is the biggest star inside of Impact Wrestling. He is hashtag the draw. Well, I think, you know, we talk about things, you know, we usually say a face of a company. You know, who's that visual He's more of the voice. And they're absolutely, there's a reason they call him the draw. He's the voice. He's going to sell. He's your pitch man. He put over Impact Wrestling so damn strong that I felt bad that I was a couple of weeks behind on Impact Wrestling. And that's what you want from that. And you don't get those, you don't get those hot deliveries from a Cage or a Tessa at this point. So, you know, he's out there. They're the, they're the beautiful cars, you know, that they want you to buy, that they got out there, you know, in the front of the lot. But when you get on that lot, it's all about that salesman. If you that pitch to make sure that you're going to be driving away with it. And that's what Sammy does. I'm hearing reports that Brian Cage's contract is up very, very soon. We know that Tess's contract is up in about a year. Rick, I don't know when his contract is up. What does Impact Wrestling do to keep Sammy Callahan and prevent him from going to AEW and tangling with one Mr. John Moxley? What well, hell? tangling or teaming yeah or both you, know, give, you give me back the uh the switchblade conspiracy yeah it could be you both. Know, it, i mean those two could go in and with those open contracts like that hell man add it to add it to my briscoe dream list hell yes i would love to see that match hell yeah it, sign me up uh absolutely yeah but I, I don't know the status there uh, it's going to be interesting now with all this competition out there and people getting these higher paydays to see it, you know how much in play impact's going to be you bring up the Briscoes, just a reminder, Ring of Honor, Summer Supercard, going down tonight on Honor Club. We're talking about the the faces and the voice, you know, who's the draw, who's actually, you know, selling for that company. If you've got to give your money to one of those three individuals, is it Sammy? Or do you still ride that hot wave where, I mean, because Tessa still is probably a, a little bit hotter ticket, no pun intended. I think I go with Sammy. Because I think you can build around Sammy a whole lot easier than you can build around Tessa. I also think, you know, also with Tessa, though, such a great look, beautiful. She has she has the name value and all of that there. But I think, you know, somebody just right now on their roster, you could slide into that spot with Jordan Grace. And there you can you can fill that spot. It's hard to find somebody that has the, the vocal contributions that you're going to get from a Sammy. The question is, how do you feel about the face of the company being a heel? Absolutely. Uh, you want to, you want to invoke emotion. 
It's something different from what the other companies are doing. You want to define yourself, you know, set yourself in the pack. That's a good point. I just I thought I was kind of stricken by that as I was listening to him on the press pass today. Um, well, hey, going back ECW at, at many a times. I mean, obviously you had you know people like Dreamer that respected and all that and love, but the people that were out there talking and selling, Shane Douglas, Raven, very bad guys. You know, it's funny that you bring up Dreamer because Sammy was mentioning on the press pass over and over and over that Tessa Blanchard will never beat me. She will never beat me. I don't care how many times we wrestle. She will never beat me. And it immediately reminded me of Tommy Dreamer and Raven. Well, I think it's, I think it's very interesting that you're talking about Cage's contract coming up very soon. Uh, Tessa's still got about a year on there. We're not sure on Sammy. When we're looking at this dynamic of you know Tessa finally getting that moment, capturing the Impact Championship, I think the better story is certainly for her to, to go over on Sammy. Oh, yeah, then the, absolutely. Then, then to see her in cage. Absolutely. I completely you know, agree to, with that. To get that retribution against this ultimate evil and, and to claim the top prize that way, that's your true story. Just not to see the impressiveness of her versus cage. When I think back on the Raven and Dreamer feud, I still think that was the biggest mistake in the history of professional wrestling. And the worst thing that ever happened to Tommy Dreamer's career was beating Raven. They should have just left it the way that it was with Raven beating him every fucking time. Well, and he fought it and fought it and fought it. He didn't agree with it as well. Yep. Yeah. Dreamers on record as saying that was the worst thing that I ever did in my career was beat Raven. And I completely agree. Let's talk about SummerSlam. Uh, Huckleberry, we got a whole bunch of matches announced for SummerSlam. And we've talked about a whole bunch of wrestling on today's show. Of all these shows, SummerSlam's the one I am least looking forward to. Uh, absolutely. This is, it's probably the low. And let's really, let's, we were, we were discussing something yesterday off air, obviously. We were talking about how unmoved we are, how uninvested we are in this SummerSlam as opposed to other things going on. If you actually just look at these matches on paper, and this seems to be a growing trend with WWE, you look at it on paper, you're like, damn, this could have been so good. But the big, the difference maker is there's no build, there's no story. Raw Reunion was a real hiccup on the road to SummerSlam. Just kind of threw everything out of whack. Well, it, it's a, it, it talks to a bigger situation, a problem with WWE, and it goes back to they rel- it's it's all about those three letters. WWE, the brand shines above all, unless you know asterisk unless your name is a McMahon. That's why they didn't feel the need to really build anything here. They think just simply because they they open the doors, they're inviting you in. Hey, we're going to tell you it's the hottest party of the summer. It's SummerSlam. You need to be here. They think that's going to be enough of a draw. It's it, it just isn't working. You need to have some intrigue. You need to get people invested. And so many of these matches on on the SummerSlam card, they should be moving fans. They should be must-see. We should be lining up, can't, beating down the doors, can't wait for Sunday, calling everyone you know, throwing SummerSlam parties. If I had to miss any wrestling this weekend, it would be SummerSlam. Yeah, this is it, hands down, without question. You talk about how nobody gets over other than the McMahons. One guy that they've tried like hell to get over is Roman Reigns. And Roman Reigns is not even advertised for this show. We're hearing rumblings that it may end up being Roman Reigns versus Buddy Murphy. And this is probably something that they would end up setting up on the pre-show. Rick, that does 
nothing for me. How do they not have a match for arguably the biggest star in the company at the second biggest show of the year? Well, we're talking, you know, that they were looking at. Uh, I also heard some rumors of a potential throwing together a tag match against Brian and, and Eric Rowan. Uh, I'm actually glad that they haven't announced anything. And I hope they don't move forward with a match with him on this show. Let's get some storyline progression because, you know, don't give me what you could have being a meaningful program uh, going back to the six months and six minutes. Leave him off of this show right now. And I'm wondering, you know, if they're leaning that way because they're still, they don't want to over push him right now. Yeah, that, that could be, man. I just, I, I am so confused by this entire thing and, and what they're doing with this attempted murder angle on Roman Reigns it's just awful. What they did this past week with, with, with the dash cam footage, really? You have a, a, a fucking video camera on the dash of the car that's trying to murder Roman Reigns. The car itself wasn't even damaged when they go back to it. There was no dents in the car. What kind of car that new doesn't have fucking airbags? Like, there, there's just so much little detail work that was not done. And hell, we're not even talking about the Mike and Maria thing and a purple fucking tarp for the waiting room. We've got, it goes back to, Sometimes their direction, they're trying. So we can't we can't fault them there. But it's the fine details. It's it's the subtleness of what you're doing. Is someone not sitting back there and asking these questions? It just absolutely ridiculous. And then they want to try to tell me this is a sophisticated product. Really? You have a fucking tarp for a wall. Really? And, and this is sophisticated. I'll take blood and guts any freaking day if this is sophisticated. I can make more sense out of SpongeBob starting a fire under the ocean than I can of some of these, these I don't know, skits that WWE is putting on. Sydney's high school theater department builds better sets than that. I mean, for the love of God. And this is coming from a company with an incredible production department. Yeah, it just doesn't make any kind of sense whatsoever. Let's, let's run through the card here. Cruiserweight Championship is going to be on the line. I don't know if this is going to be on the pre-show or if they're going to try to bury it somewhere in the middle of the card. Chances are it's going to be a good match that nobody's going to care about because they just don't like the look of either one of these guys. Drew Gulak, who is one of the best professional wrestlers in the world, but unfortunately he looks like a freaking hobbit, is going to take on Oni Lorcan, who looks like a British hobbit. It's the, the Battle of the Hobbits then, man. It's the it's Battle of the that. Hobbits. Move this thing under a bridge. My Let's precious. have it out. Let's have it out. That was my impression, Colin. My precious. It's fucking Gollum. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm sure the match will be good. I'm just not sure that anybody in Toronto is going to care. Going with Drew Gulak to retain. Yes. Uh, and you know what? It, it seems like month to month. You kind of get a little steam going behind 205, and then they just it, it just always sets back and drops off. Uh, they need to figure out something to do here with this brand. I was really hoping that Brian's big announcement was going to be that he was moving to 205 Live, you know, kind of reinvigorate that whole brand. Nope, not doing that. Trish Stratus is going to take on Charlotte in what I think is the worst matchup on this card. Um, and I say that, Rick, just because of the way this thing has been built. And it goes back to something that I heard Jericho say once upon a time. It's been built? Well, yeah, there is that. Um, 
but Jericho, I, I forget who the talent was that he was feuding with, but he gets backstage and they just start going freaking off on him because Jericho's in the ring and he thinks he's getting good heat and he's calling the guy old and all this other shit. And they get backstage and the guy says, what the fuck are you doing? All right. Now, if I beat you, all I did was beat up a wise ass kid. And you got beat by an old man. And if you beat me, all you did was beat an old man. Nobody gets over in the freaking program. That's exactly how I feel about Trish Stratus and Charlotte Flair. Nobody is going to get over in this damn thing. Either Charlotte is hurt by losing to Trish or Charlotte beats Trish, which she should have done to begin with, and it doesn't elevate Charlotte at all. Uh, exactly what I was saying. Even if you're going to go on this short build for this thing, it should have all been about... You know, use your social media, all of that, anything at your access because you got such short build here. But it should have been Charlotte, you know, saying, you know, people like Trish, they claim to be the trailblazers here. But it was me who took it to the next level. Yeah, she set the bar here. She defined that here. Now I'm setting the bar here in this day and age. Let's see who truly, you know, was the queen, uh, the alpha of, of their divisions or their times. You know, it's, this is a dream match, but she's still got to come off as, you know, a prick. I think people misremember Trish Stratus's career. I think they, WWE thinks that Trish Stratus was a much bigger deal than what she really was. Trish Stratus was not that big of a deal. The only reason that Trish Stratus was ever a big deal was because she was freaking hot. That's the only thing that Trish Stratus really brought to that division. When it came down to Trish and Lita, Lita was clearly the better worker. Trish has never been good on promos, but Vince had a fascination with Trish Stratus, so she was always at the top of the card. It wasn't that she was that good. It was that everybody else in the division at that time was that bad because we were busy doing bra and panties matches and just wrestling around in the freaking mud. Like... Trish Stratus was never that big of a deal. She was just the smartest retard in the freaking slow kids class. Well, I think I wouldn't be that harsh on it, but you know, in, I think it, time is going to change, you know, your memory and how things are perceived. She came in, she was absolutely terrible. I mean, this was one of the, they found her in a catalog and Hey, we get, Hey, couple hundred thousand dollars a year you're gonna be on the road to be living this dream lifestyle but she did dedicate dedicate herself to her craft and she did improve and she did race through those ranks and yes you're gonna get by on your looks like that that's what they were selling at that point but she was very athletic she could absolutely go inside that ring at the top of that tier you know she had some great talents to work with had you know that tremendous rivalry there with with lita and you, you sprinkle in like a Beth phoenix or uh, did she any interaction was like Luna and them around at that point or were they already gone? I think Luna was gone by that point. It was real close. The end of her and the beginning of Trish. Yeah. All right. So it, it might have been early that she got to work with her there. Something like that. So you had people that, that you know, like your Molly Hollies knows that were actual wrestlers. You know, that they, they got into the business because they wanted to be professional wrestlers. And that was that transition there with Trish where it went from women that wanted to be professional wrestlers into let's find them in a modeling a modeling catalog. And, and, and that's what, that's really what Trish represented, but she did work her way up like that. But what's funny though, is you take somebody like that, the exact same thing. You could be said for Nikki Bella came in as hot, hot garbage and she did work her ass off and she did become a very solid, you know, in ring hand. But when but you she, look at, if you look at the two of them at their peak, Nikki Bella was even a much better worker than Trish. 
And I think, you know, all around, she was a better brand ambassador. Uh, I think, you know, when we talk about greatest of all time, everyone immediately jumps to Trish. I think Nikki's light years ahead of her. I, I if Trish in, Stratus, in all, all, in all aspects of sports entertainment, and we're probably going to get some heat on this thing, but I think Nikki Bellas is superior to Trish Stratus. Oh, absolutely. At, at her peak, Trish Stratus was Naomi at best. If Trish Stratus was in her prime right now on this women's roster, she would be number six or seven on the freaking card. She was not that great. Well, look at right. Look, well, look at this. I was going to make a comparison. What Trish Stratus in her journey from, you know, from the catalog to main event, she's very comparable today to Alexa Bliss. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a great comparison as well. And people talk about what a shitty pro wrestler Alexa Bliss is. Yeah, well, you're all wrong, number one. But yeah, absolutely. That's a great comparison. Well, I would say when it's all said and done, when we're ranking these individuals, it's the same road. You get a stunning blonde. I'd say, you know, Bliss is more of a a sweet, sexy where where Trish was just, you know, sexy. Yeah, exotic hot. But you got a sweet, sexy girl next door with Bliss. But Bliss, you know, as you said, Trish, Trish was never good on the microphone. Bliss can absolutely bring it. And, and she can go in the ring. And I would, at their peaks in the ring, I'd say they're neck and neck. But Bliss is a better sports entertainer. She can work the microphone. I think she's a better brand ambassador. So I, I, when it's all said and done, I think you, you bring Trish down another and put up someone else in front of her. Alexa Bliss is going to pass her. Okay, enough bad talking about Trish. Let's talk about Charlotte for a second, because Charlotte has been a train wreck for the last six months or so. Rick, I don't know what the hell is going on with Charlotte Flair, but all of a sudden, Charlotte is an awful fucking promo. What? She sounds so damn robotic. Like, did they take her off of bullet points? Was she on bullet points and could go out and cut her own promos? And then they were like, no, that's not very good. We need you to read this verbatim. Because now she seems like she's doing the community theater all of the time. And she's very robotic. This all started. This is going back, you know, to just before WrestleMania. She... She's becoming too corporate. They are trying to mold her into something that's going to represent them. They want her to almost be like the, the wrestling side of a, a Stephanie where, cause she's the one that does all, you know, these PRs and she's the one traveling around trying to, you know, be the face of this division and all that. And rightfully show she's the alpha, you know, she's the one that, that carries this thing. She's in those big matches because she's built for professional wrestling. I mean, it's in her blood, literally in her blood. But right now, it's that corporate effect is really taking a toll on her. Felt very Dolph Ziggler. Like when you listen to Dolph Ziggler cut his promos, they they feel very community theater. That's very much the feeling that I got from Charlotte this week. I'm going with Charlotte to win this match because, Rick, she has to win this match. She cannot afford a loss to Trish Stratus on her resume. Well, absolutely. And what, and what, what scares me to death here, like you said, the way this thing has been built, the way Charlotte is even pitching this thing, she becomes a laughing stock. She's yeah. got her ass. She's got her ass kicked by a stay-at-home yoga mom. Yep, whose glory days were two decades ago. Yeah, you you don't tear down your opponents. You put over your opponents. This is what Paul Heyman has been so good at for so long, which is why Brock Lesnar has been on top for so long. Well, and what you do, and right now, we talk about how how thin talent wise this division is 
especially with, you know, three championships running around. You got the tag and obviously the two singles women's. There's not enough to go around. So at least you do have you have Charlotte there available at any time as your alpha to, to stand out, to be inserted into your main program to help drive that thing. She loses this match. She drops down to the same level as everyone else. I, there's there's no more interest in sh- mo- no like no more not overall but I don't have any more interest in Charlotte than I do as Naomi. This would be Brock Lesnar losing to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That that that's really the best logical comparison I can. I, make I wouldn't right go there. that I, I would go that far, but it'd be like if Ken Shamrock came back and beat beat Brock Lesnar. Yeah, just uh, on all those levels, you know. Yeah, it's just not good. Uh, Goldberg, speaking of guys coming back, is gonna. Take on Dolph Ziggler. Rick, if this match goes over a minute and a half, it was way too damn long. This is a spear, jackhammer, one, two, three, get the fuck out of there. Uh, you want to talk about, I, I don't think this is a, a, there's not a winner in this situation. Nope. Uh, sure, tell not the fans. No, this is this is basically trying to rebuild Goldberg because that last match against The Undertaker was so goddamn bad that we can't have that be the last time that we ever see Goldberg. He's going to go out here and just squash Dolph Ziggler. Well, no, we're, we're getting reports here that, that they actually have more dates in store, that he is not going anywhere right now. But this is, we got to get him back out there in front of in front of this fan base, reestablish him. And again, I, I think it's smart. Goldberg's still draw. He, he got a pop there the other day. People are still going to gravitate towards him. I just don't think this is the right situation. This isn't the right match. And a lot of this just screams something with one of these networks. You know, hey, they're probably the ones pushing. Do we want somebody like Goldberg? You know, if this show's going to have Brock, we need somebody like Goldberg on the other one. With the exception of three matches on this card, I could say this is not the right situation for all of them. Uh, this, if any of them to me, this just screams. This is just a terrible setup here. I did have a theory though. Yeah, everyone, we're talking about this this lame build, and we only, we, we don't even have like a full week of build on this one. Uh, one appearance, and and then whatever they were doing with Dolph on Tuesday to try to make him look like he's like some credible, like superior opponent. You know, that's going to give this great challenge to Goldberg. But that was just hot garbage. But got me thinking though. WWE's just thinking they they know the casuals have checked out. They've checked out a long time ago. We see the ratings by the millions. They, they're checking out. But who's sticking around is this core base, you know, us internet freaking jockeys, you know, that, that are still riding with this thing. So instead, they probably figured instead of introducing Goldberg like a month ago and having some kind of build on this thing, then we're going to hear the guys that are watching every week constantly bitching and then telling other people this thing is going to suck. So the casuals might not even tune in because they just see SummerSlam that they're just going to try to squeeze them in. And then somebody might be like, oh, Goldberg. OK, before before we could get to him and tell him just how shitty this is. The other thing that sucks here is not only is Goldberg going to squash Dolph Ziggler, he's also going to squash the Miz. Because in order for Ziggler to retain any kind of credibility after getting squashed by Goldberg, they're going to have Ziggler go out there and beat the Miz Monday on Raw. That's going to be the 50-50 of this thing. No, I, I think I think this is the end of Dolph Ziggler. Ziggler just resigned for a year. Oh, he did. I didn't know that news. I didn't see that. He just resigned, like in the last week or so, for a year. I, I didn't see that. Maybe I was just wishful thinking that you know he'd go he'd go somewhere else for a little while. He should go to Japan. That's where he should go. I, I thought maybe they had something in the works. You know, he was, and I thought maybe that the Miz would be the one to send him packing to give the, the, the Miz a little bit of a rub there. Uh, hey, we're talking about no winners here. 
all losers. Let's toss him. What, what does this do for the Miz? It's, even if he wins on nothing. Monday, it does nothing. nothing. Now he's just now he's been replaced on SummerSlam, so he's off your quote unquote biggest second biggest show of the year. So he's been replaced there. He has a match on Monday. If he goes 50-50, who gives a shit? You know, if he's the 50-50 victim, and even if he wins, who cares? He just he, he's gonna. He's, it's like it's like a vulture picking at the bones of something that's been laying there decaying for a while, you know, that Goldberg killed. It's Trish and Charlotte all over again. If Miz beats Ziggler, congratulations. You just beat somebody who got beat by a 50-year-old man the night before. And, and likely got devastated. That's going to be out there with taped ribs. Yeah, squashed from a spear. Uh, Finn Balor going to take on Bray Wyatt. Speaking of guys who nobody's going to win here. Um, Rick, I Nothing has been said, nothing has been shown, nothing has been teased for the demon. So I'm assuming that you're just going to get man Finn Balor against Bray Wyatt. The real question is going to be, how is the fiend going to be presented inside of an in-ring context? Because we're not going to have crazy strobe lights. We're not going to have lights on, lights off. This is going to be full bore this is really going to be the debut of the new bray wyatt you know what i'd really like to see here and we were talking about long-term storytelling which i it seems absurd when we're in a wwe context but i like to just see man versus man in this one and, and then maybe revisit this as demon versus fiend wrestlemania season I have a feeling that at somehow, some way, this is going to end up the Fiend versus Goldberg. It seems like we're doing the Fiend's new gimmick is he's taken out legends. He took out McFoley. He took out Kurt Angle. I think it's very reasonable to think that we're going to see Fiend and Goldberg if we're going to have Goldberg for more than just SummerSlam. You know, I wasn't really looking at that as the legend thing. I thought it was the, you know, let me in where he's he's targeting people. This happened to be legends. Just getting that rub, but people that have dealt with demons. How about this? What if you do this? This could be an interesting little spin for this thing, right? What if you do Goldberg versus Ziggler early on the card? Goldberg squashes Ziggler. The Fiend shows up and puts down Goldberg. Then later in the night, you have Bray Wyatt tangle with Finn Balor, not the Fiend. So you see both personalities of Bray Wyatt on SummerSlam. I could get behind something like that. I think that could be interesting. Um, going with Bray Wyatt to win this thing because Bray Wyatt has to win this thing, and all sources say that Finn's taking time off after SummerSlam. And that's and that's where I'd like to see just the man there, and then have him disappear. Yep. You know, give him off the rest of the year. Don't and, do and the he, demon. He he absolutely needs. And then you know what? I, and, and then kickstart that thing. You know, have the fiend just tearing through everyone the rest of this year. And, and have the Fiend in the ring, maybe alone at the Rumble. And the clock counts down. And it's the Demon. Well, I wouldn't even bring the Demon out. i just run a Demon vignette. Have him skip his spot in the Rumble. But he, now he's on the hunt. He's on the hunt. Or you, you get a Demon vignette up on the screen. The lights go out. And, you know, if it's either Wyatt or the Fiend, he's outside the ring. He's been eliminated. And we don't know what the hell just happened there. There was no one else in the ring. What the hell happened? That could be fun. Uh, let's talk about the United States Championship. AJ Styles is going to take on Ricochet for the U.S. title. Rick, I should be way more excited about this. I expect this will be a very good match. But my God, how many times have we seen some combination of AJ Styles and Ricochet in the past month? 
Yeah, and it, that's what I can get on the commentary. They're talking, oh, this is going to steal the show. I mean, like it hasn't every week. I mean, we see this batched in some kind of format, you know, some kind of concept or setup. How many times now? You know, three out of the, out of the last four weeks. Yeah. And it didn't steal the show this week. This week, what stole the show was Rey Mysterio and CN. Those two guys absolutely stole the show Monday on Raw. That was the best match on WWE TV this week. Uh, again, they, they keep going to this thing. They've still got some great chemistry. Work so well together. But you think you're getting something behind that. And then you, what do you do? You turn around the next next night and you're 50-50 Ray feeding him the doll. Yeah. Yeah. It's a damn shame. Uh, one thing I wanted to throw out there from the uh, Wednesday locker room, because they were talking about when LaSombra won his mask or lost his mask. He has to actually lost his mask in his last match in Mexico to a gentleman by the name of Atlantis. Uh, let's talk about the women a little bit. SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey and Ember Moon in the Who Gives a Shit About This Match match. Uh, again, uh, this one, I expect it to be quick, so uh, don't spend a lot of time in the bathroom on your break. We're going to get a Sasha? Is Sasha ever going to come back? Like, what the hell's going on with Sasha Banks here? You, you start. This is turning into, there's been a couple's a couple situations where it made sense, but now it's one of those rumors you keep seeing around all of these, you know, these marquee events. Do, do you care anymore? Even if she, I mean, is that going to get enough pop here? This, this thing is just so, you know, played down just the match itself. Well, we've had, is there any interest? We've had a couple of instances where it actually made sense. There's nothing here that says we need a Sasha Banks to show up. Like I, I absolutely save that for Tuesday. Would you, uh, is there something, I mean, do you do it now to let, let it get out there? Let it be known. So maybe you, you move a rating. Meh. I mean, she is Sasha going to move a rating? Well, I, I mean, she still has a tremendous fan base and yeah, but, she has but, been, but, she are, has been absent for a while. I'm not talking millions of people, but I think you could see a slight move in the number. Is it, is it a fan base? that's not still watching the show. Like do you, do, we haven't talked about him on the show forever because you know he, he's kind of a douchebag. But do you think Jersey Mike quit watching fucking Monday Night Raw or Tuesday SmackDown because Sasha Banks isn't there? They're they're, they're still the same people that are still watching the show. Yeah, I get that. I, I guess you. I guess you could bring a few eyes back to it, but I I just don't think there, there's nothing there that's that she's going to add any energy to this division right now. Nope, I agree. Raw Women's Championship on the line: Becky versus Natty. Again, in the who cares match, match, match. Not excited about this one whatsoever, even though it's a submission match, which makes sense because both of them use submission holds. You got to love that how they went over the top explaining what a submission match is. I love that. I love that Natty's like, Natty's like, you can break my arm. I'm not going to tap out. Like we haven't seen Natty tap out dozens of times. My, my biggest fear in this thing is just he, you know, the famous Stone Cold incident with the passing out. Oh, God. Oh, that would be bad. That would be very bad. Um, Do you think that they're actually going to cheer Natty over Becky? Because I don't. I think best case scenario, Natty ends up with a 50-50 split, but I'm still thinking it's going to be more 70-30 Becky. Well, they're they're hoping for you know that that home, that near home advantage for her. Uh, they've been really playing that up there, and I, I don't really like that dynamic. It's really hard to. And it, I think they've set themselves up for a fifty fifty because both of them are playing fifty fifty characters right now. 
Yeah, it's neither one of these matches are very good. Uh, let's talk about the big three matches because these three matches I am actually intrigued in. Uh, number one, the Universal Championship match between Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins. Rick, the way that they have set this entire thing up is for Seth Rollins to finally beat Brock Lesnar without punching him in the dick. But I'm, I'm telling you, nothing about this program says Seth Rollins is winning this title back to me. I think Brock Lesnar is going to go out here and just victimize Seth Rollins again. I mean, for God's sake, when Seth was cutting that real heartfelt promo Monday on Raw, he was getting what chance? We're going to put the freaking championship back on him? I firmly believe that, that they have lost faith in, in the Rollins ship. Uh, I don't think they can. They think it can carry the company, especially as we're going to move into the fall here. They want to go with you know that bulking brute and Brock Lesnar. He still moves a number for you when he comes back. Less is more with him. And in this build, how they present itself, you know, how he's even been portraying himself through social media, through the promos that we're seeing on the on television. I, I'm getting. I, I personally feel it. And now, as I see other individuals commenting on it, it seems that the majority of us are now taking a great deal of pleasure in seeing him just get pummeled. The booking has been awful since he won that title. It has just been aw- Like, who would have thought that a three-month program with Baron Corbin would hurt your career? Oh, wait, everybody! Well, you know, just outside of Corbin, then you're being defined as... The, like, the man's the, bitch. Yeah, you're the sidekick to, to Becky. You're the one with the Universal Championship representing this brand, this company, and you're you look like a sidekick here. And then you're you're overshilling as a corporate guy. You're you're going at fans saying they're jealous of you. You're going at other professional wrestlers. I mean, he's to to me, he embodied everything about you know like a snowflake society and culture. So now when Brock Lesnar gets his hands on him and absolutely pummels him, I I, I take great pleasure in seeing that. You know, I thought it was kind of funny because we talk about how they see something on NXT and they're like, oh, we should just do that on the main roster and everybody's going to love it. When Seth was cutting that promo the other night, all I could think was Johnny Gargano when he was going after the NXT championship and he cut that promo. I just have to ask myself, is it worth it? Hell yeah, it's worth it. And the entire Full sale crowd just rallied behind Johnny Wrestling. Yeah, they do that on Monday Night Raw and the people were like, what? Just didn't work. You gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta know your audiences. I mean, that's why you know NXT exists within your company because it caters to a different beast, and and that doesn't transition over to what you got on Red and Blue. Beast over strong. What I think is going to be your main event of the night. Yeah, I know. We skipped that one match. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. What I think is going to be your main event, what should be your main event, is Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton. Um, Rick, Kofi Kingston has to win this match. After what happened in Madison Square Garden a decade ago with the whole stupid match, Kofi has to get this win, right? Uh, I think Kofi picks up the win here. Uh, but I'm leaning more and more now towards Orton being the one to to take the crown. Yeah, And, and I think that'll happen closer to October when they make the move to Fox. I think we were talking about the executives there looking at superstars they want representing this program, Randy Orton's got to be at the top. You and I regularly put over, go to any live event, any corner of this globe, and Randy Orton is over like crazy. They're going to want him at the forefront. Uh, but I, I think 
to continue on. And we've and everyone keeps talking about oh, what's going to happen at SummerSlam because of the TV deals. We still got months before that, so you can make that move at any time. And I think it prolongs. You know, it it, it gives a great deal of credibility to Kofi and his championship reign. It moves him forward to pick up a win here, even if he is defeated later on. And that ultimately is how they you know, change things up there. I think Kofi is the right call here, but eventually go to Randy. Outside, as I mentioned in a conversation over on Facebook and how media discussion group. Smackdown and Raw are so bad right now. Radio's in the tank. And we continually hear all oh, the Fox executives. They're not that concerned because they're going to retool. We're going to rebrand everything. Everything's going to get reimagined again. Do they want oh, – if that is true, if there's any kind of sense there, and I know that's just they're giving lip service PR and all that. We've heard Ben and Stevie say that when they actually talked to those executives, that was a different story than what we're hearing through you know press releases. But if there is some, some credibility there, do they want the stank of the current program on that champion coming into the new show? That's a good question. That's a very good question. I'm with you. I think Randy Orton is the champion going into Fox, and I think Kofi's chasing well, I wonder if at that point, is is that a big enough main event to open up Fox with? Do the title switch there? Ooh, that could be. That could be. I think September is Night of Champions is the next one. So you could see Randy take the title there, and maybe you see Kofi going to win the championship back that first show no, on Fox. I, I would say, no, I'd say Randy takes the title on Fox. You set up there, you've got a recognizable name. People are going to come for, for Orton. Do you, want, I mean, do you want an to, absolute legend? Do you want to do heel over strong on the first episode, though? That's kind of a buzzkill, ain't it? Don't you want a baby face standing tall at the end of the first show? It goes back to Randy's Randy. People love him. Yeah, that's true. And, and I think going into that, that match is so good. I mean, just outside of the fan base that Kofi and, the, you know, how long he's been, his tenure, the legacy he's created. But you're also going to bring in that, dem- that demographic. Yeah. So let's talk about the best in the world. Shane McMahon, he's going to take on Kevin Owens. I put up a teaser in the Hami Media Discussion Group, so I wanted to save this for last. Rick, I know people aren't going to believe it when I say this. Shane McMahon should win this match. Shane- uh, I know you, you were talking about that there. Sorry to cut you off there, but I think this is the main event of the show. Really? You think this is yes. the main event? So I'm going with Shane McMahon to win this match, and immediately people are like, you want Kevin Owens to quit? Rick, this is all set up. This is the Midnight Rider angle, right? This is this, That's clearly what they're going to do here. Shane McMahon is going to beat Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is going to come back under a freaking hood. He's going to be the Midnight Rider. He's going to be Mr. Wrestling 4. That's who he's going to be. You remember Steve Carino, who is... Kevin Owens' mentor in ROH, they did this angle. Carino got fired. He shows back up. He's Mr. Wrestling 3. They kept that going for a year. Everybody knew full damn well it was Steve Carino, but they couldn't prove it because they couldn't get that goddamn hood off. This is going to be Mr. Wrestling 4, Kevin Owens. I cannot freaking wait. This has to happen. I have to have... Mr. Wrestling 4, Kevin Owens, with Shane McMahon just beside himself, trying to prove that Mr. Wrestling is Kevin Owens. You could milk this shit for a year. Well, you get back to another comparison there. Uh, a classic a classic story in professional wrestling, putting the mask on somebody that obviously everyone knows who they are. Oh, going all the way back to, you know, with, with Mass Destroyers, with Andre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh no, that's another seven foot 
Yeah, it's a, French that's giant. a difference. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, no. come on. No, that's <laughs> clearly not I mean, Kevin they, Owens. Or, uh, even inside WWE, a great program they had with the uh, with Hogan. Now is as the you know the, what Mr. America or Captain America and yep. Vince crazed about trying to get that mask off of him to prove that it's you know the Hawkster. But obviously, you know, if you keep running on that. Now the uh, question is, my there. my question is, to do this angle, which mask do you put on Kevin Owens? I was do I you, was gonna have you come back as El Generico. I was gonna say, do you do Mr. Wrestling Four or do you do El Generico? I, I think it could you have it where you have different ones? <laughs> like this is absolute money. I mean, this is going to be comedy. This is going to be drama. This, like, this is pro wrestling. This is the most freaking pro wrestling angle that you can possibly have. Kevin Owens just tormenting the ever loving hell out of Shane McMahon underneath of this hood. This is absolute money. I have to see this angle. Hey, and, and, and you, you got me talked into this. So if that's the case, if that's going to happen, I don't think it main events because you can't have the show close with Kevin Owens losing. The reason I thought it, I'm thinking it's going to close, is because they want to give Canada that huge moment. Because I don't think the other, the other, you know, the heroes, the hometown heroes, are going to win on this show. Wouldn't that be hilarious? They built this whole thing around a bunch of Canadians being on the show, and then they all fucking lose. Well, it's WWE in it. I know it's, it's so an entire. WWE. I know it's it's an entire country, but they don't go there that often, so it is a special occasion. So what do they do whenever they go to someone's hometown? You never go over in your hometown. I'm telling you that this has to be the Mr. Wrestling angle. It has to be. Uh, you've got me talking to that there. And look at the, like we were talking about, which mask? Let's have him wear multiple masks. Have him have a mask on over a mask. Yeah. As soon as, oh my God, how much, how great would that be if it's, if it's like, maybe you come out as El Generico. And then what I do there, start with El Generico. And then I'd have special assignment Sammy on the case. Where Shane has is now hired Sammy to try to track down because he knew that at some point Sammy had some kind of interaction with this El Generico guy. So do some vignettes like where Sammy's like going to Mexico or something or like or I don't know the border or something something along those lines. Shit, trying to figure out who is you know who's under this mask, and then when he eventually in a month or so having rip off the El Generico mask and it's Mister Wrestling Four. I'm telling you, this is an absolute money angle. Or go back, or you rip that, you rip off the El Generico mask, and it's the Mr. America mask. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, Jargo, how can you like this, but you don't like the 24-7 title? Because this is good stuff. That 24-7 shit, that's just garbage. This is absolutely hilarious. And if you're looking at a personality, a talent that can pull this off. It's Owens. Well, I think on both sides. I think Shane would sell it on the other side, just be driven to the point of madness. Yeah. The, 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 and trying to use everything at his disposal to, to find out and to expose Kevin Owens under that mask. Absolutely. And for, for those who didn't see Steve Carino on commentary in Ring of Honor, when he got fired and came back as Mr. Wrestling 3, you missed a great era of Ring of Honor. That, that was just absolutely fantastic. That match where he's calling the Young Bucks with the 52 super kicks and it ends up with him getting super kicked himself and the freaking headset goes flying off of his goddamn head because he thinks that he's joining the Bullet Club. Absolutely freaking hilarious. That's one of my favorite angles in the history of freaking pro wrestling. I love the Midnight Rider gimmick. Oh, uh, You know what would be tremendous, too? You're talking about the comparison there with Carino and the Tiesta. 
the ties to Owens. What if like in a backstage segment, you know, Shane is so enraged and well, wait a minute, there's a guy in that mask and he's backs to me. So he runs over and he attacks him and he rips the mask off and it's Carino. And he's like, what are, you do- what are you doing, boss? I just went out and got this at the merch stand. What are you doing? And you know, the other thing that you could do to pull that off, they have the same freaking tattoo. That evil, oh, the, yes. the evil tattoo. Uh, hey, and then again, you want to talk about moving some merchandise? Rotate the mask every month. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a money gimmick. You have to do this, WWE. You have to give me the Midnight Rider. Mr. Wrestling 4. Oh, it would be so great. So great. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. Find Huckleberry and I this Monday inside the locker room. It's going to be the speed round locker room as we're going to try to review as much of this stuff as we possibly can in as little amount of time as we possibly can. Also, be sure that you visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as they tell the stories, pro wrestling storytellers. Visit Jamie and the crew over at Last Word on ProWrestling.com all weekend because there's a whole lot of wrestling going on and they have the latest all around the world of professional wrestling. Make sure that you visit our new friends over at Voices of Misery. I've been talking with the nerd and the nerdette a little bit. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to smack them around one of these first days. That's going to happen because they like to talk a whole lot of shit about us. You know, they didn't even know that we had the HTM Podcast Network until last night because they were like, yeah, we got to wait a whole week to hear them respond to us. Bull fucking shit! I do like four goddamn shows a week. I'll come over there to your show and smack you around and bury the shit out of you. I'll be there talking shit about until then, you can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo, RBV. How do the peeps, the freaks, the geeks, and yes, even the nerds find you? Well, I, you know, in closing here, I wanted to take a moment uh, to talk on, on a different subject. You know, we're getting ready to celebrate about two years from uh, when Jargo and myself came together with a little passion project and we started the Hitting the Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast. And in that time, uh, we've been extremely blessed. We made uh, so many, I mean, we've had so many great experiences. We were talking about here on the show. Uh, we were able to be at the first StarCast. We were together at All In. And along the way, we've met people that, true friends that have been, some have become just like family to us. And we've been able to expand our platform. We've taken just a simple podcast here. We've evolved that into its own network, the, the Hitting the Marks Podcast Network. We give you six tremendous programs through through that platform. You got hashtag HTM Sports. You got everything from the UK scene with Joe Atherton. You've got the, the king of the indie interview, Robin Nelson with the Wrestle Podcast. You got our friends here from the great north, Joe and Carl with Turnbuckle Talk and the always outrageous and entertaining PW Hustle. So much on our platform. Uh, right now, it's we're kind of, you know, asking, reaching out to the listeners to help us continue on, to help us grow into the next year uh, with some funding uh, just for our web hosting fees. Uh, so we've, we're going to launch a GoFundMe. We'll include the link here with the show uh, probably before the show actually drops. You're going to see see that link as an as a standalone in some of the circles that we run in. So any support would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I know Jargo would appreciate it. I would appreciate it. And we look forward to just continuing to evolve and bringing everyone to great content that we have here on the Hitting Marks uh, Podcast Network. You know, it's funny that you would bring this up today because I, I got to look in and, you know, this is actually episode 302 on the HTM 
Podcast Network. 301 was the Impact Press Pass that dropped yesterday. This is show number 302. 302 free shows that we have brought into your ear holes. That's an awful lot of work. And, you know, this this stuff ain't cheap, man. When, when it comes to the equipment and the web hosting and the Skype hosting for the calls, for the interviews, and any, any little bit would absolutely help. Um, also wanted to throw out a very special programming note this week because myself and the Andrew Bello are going to be hooking up Saturday night. It's going to be hitting the next level. It's going to drop on Hameen Media as well as the HTM Podcast Network. I'm going to make Bello produce his end of the show. I'm going to produce my end of the show, and we're going to put this to rest once and for all. Who is the better producer? Huckleberry, what do you think of that? Damn, you know, I've been I've been putting over telling everybody that would listen that if you're gonna if you're gonna be in, invested and involved with one match this weekend, that it should be ladder wars. Throw that out the window. We got producer wars throwing down here. Now this is an epic beta. Looking forward to it. It's always a good time when me and Bella get together. So that's gonna wrap things up for this week's show. We'll talk to you Monday inside the locker room. Enjoy the wrestling weekend. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! me. I don't give up. You bad guy. Stop, stop. Go.